to Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. This is episode 124. Wow, getting up there. This is your co-host Russ over here. And this is your co-host Mike over here. Actually, we're both in the, the same place according to the <laughs> listeners though, so. As far as you know, yeah. in the mountain lair, coming to you from Japan, bringing you six new releases, three classical and three jazz every week. And sometimes we have a special theme and this week we do. Yeah, we do. We have, um, what is it? It's, it's Latin, but it's all Latin. We have classical Latin, too, which yes. is unusual. And I have to say, I've got three sort of unusual recordings here. Not, not only is it Latin, but in classical, it's mostly Mexican, which is uh, something um, that you don't yeah. hear too much of in recorded uh, classical music. And this is going to be uh, great. It was kind of a, a big week of discovery, let's say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in jazz, uh, the common thread is the trombone. We're going to hear a lot of trombones tonight. And most of it's pretty exciting too. So, and hence our title, you know, Latin Bones. We're gonna go for skull and bones, right? Mexican skull and Latin bones, even though there are no skulls in the Mexican music. I looked through all of the uh, artwork yeah. and then uh, the lyrics that were in like so many different languages <laughs> for know. that one booklet. It's so many. It's like forty pages or something, but I couldn't find any skulls. But we'll use right. it anyway. Anyway, we've got some important news to report this week, which everybody, I'm sure, has already heard. We've got a Dies Irae theme coming up from Russ's piano over there. All right, let me roll up to the keyboard here. And there it is. Probably everyone's heard the news if you've uh, been watching the TV or reading the papers this week, but we lost an icon of American music, the great Tony Bennett. Yeah, the great Tony Bennett is right, he, and he yeah. really was uh, an icon. And not only that, but here in Japan, all over the world, people are kind of uh, feeling this uh, loss to um, you know music. Let's say right. jazz, popular, really a lot of different styles he sang in. And he had a really interesting career, or maybe you could say careers, because... <laughs> You know, he was an admirer of Sinatra when he was young. He was too young to really hit, you know, the end of the big band era. So when he was coming up in, you know, the 50s, really the pop scene had turned to focus on rhythm and blues and then rock and roll. So he became, you know, kind of a crooner Mm -hmm. and probably listened to mainly by the older generations around that time. But he's always been a really great interpreter of the American songbook. Right. And to me, that makes him a jazz singer. Exactly. So it's a great recording. Is it 58 or 59 uh, with Count Basie? That's a great Mm -hmm. one I like to listen to. And then he got more jazz cred in the 70s when he did two recordings, I think 75 and 76 with Bill Evans. Right. And so that sort of brought him back in the focus of jazz musicians and jazz listeners. And then when he got into his later years, he had even like an MTV unplugged and then he recorded all those uh, duets recordings. Right. Oh, the uh, the last, uh, he did two with uh, Lady Gaga, in right. fact. And there was yeah. one that was like with a lot of singers, and she was on that one, too. And wasn't there one with Diane Kroll, too? There was a Diana Kroll right. record, too. That was good. That was a really good record, right. too. The two with Lady Gaga were really good, too. Um, yeah. She really showed some uh, jazz ability there on, on those records. But, you right. know, I was listening mostly for him. I think most people were, because he's just so unique, <laughs> you know? Well, he had a unique voice that mm-hmm. was... Powerful, but yet some vulnerability in it as also a kind right. of gravelly edge to it. But mm-hmm. it didn't change when he got up high. You know, it was still just as strong. 
Right. And that was all distinctive. But, you know, what really comes down to if you're singing those songs is your interpretation, phrasing, yeah. enunciation. And he had that in a lot of class. And so his, you know, versions are really definitive. Yeah, they're fantastic. And let's not, uh, we should mention his uh, biggest hit song of all, I Left My Heart in San Francisco, right. which is not a jazz song. But, I mean, it's a, it's a great song and a great vocal performance as well. Yeah. And we heard uh, a tune, Who Can I Turn To? Right. That was yeah. another one of his hits. I always liked that tune a lot, too. You had mentioned that, too, just yeah. when, when uh, we heard that. But, yeah. yeah, he passed away at the age of 96. Still very life. active into yeah. his 90s. An inspiration to us all. We should be working into our 90s, too, or at least making ourselves, um, you know, useful. Yes. <laughs> you know, I certainly hope to be doing that. Behind the mic, what is that going to be <laughs> for us? Like uh, 30... That'd be 40 years from now for, for us. Yeah, 40 years. <laughs> we, we have a lot of years of podcasting left. We'll have to have some special headphones by that time, I'm sure. You know, yeah, but, maybe. Maybe they'll be, probably be implants, which implants. I don't want. I don't want anything implanted <laughs> into my brain. Bluetooth tracking devices and things. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, rest in peace, Tony Bennett, an inspiration, and left us with a lot of great music that we'll keep listening to. Yeah, and I'll certainly keep listening. Also, we yeah, and let's, let's recommend again the... Uh, there's actually an album out now of uh, the complete uh, recordings he made with uh, Bill Evans. They're all available on okay. one album now. So you can get the two. Yeah. They made two albums together, but they've all been released yeah. with extra tracks and all those other ones on um, a single album. Those sound great, too. The yeah. sound quality is fabulous. And I think it's the second one uh, together again. Uh, mm -hmm. You can see the studio video. They did a real classy take of that. It's on YouTube. And, uh, well, classy for the 1970s anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Those stage know. sets were a little too yeah, claustrophobic kind of for me. Stuff, but, you know, it's nice yeah. to see them. And, yeah, uh, it is nice to see, see them. Especially Tony singing. looking so young there. He looked yeah. good. Yeah, Bill Evans was a little, he was getting towards the end. He was a bit yeah. overweight. And bearded and beefy there. Bearded but, and beefy. Uh, still sounded yeah. great. Yeah. Sounded great, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really what matters. All right. I need to make a correction. We also mentioned that the uh, classical pianist, Hungarian classical pianist Yenu Yando uh, died a few weeks ago but um, when I kind of recommended like albums by him mm. I was confusing him with another pianist who's still alive by the way oh. so I just want to just mention like some Yenu Yando albums to listen to he recorded famously for me the list Anne de Pellerinage, which is a list piano works for when he was traveling through Switzerland and Italy and a lot of these pieces are works that you would learn on the piano if you were a intermediate to advanced student. I remember um, there was a fountain one that was really nice. Anyway, um, so he recorded those and he recorded all the Mozart uh, piano concertos. So I didn't uh, recommend the great recordings. He is, however, on the Naxos label. Those are all available there. Rest in peace, Hungarian classical pianist Yenu Yando. So this is the second time we're mentioning him <laughs> on the podcast. Yes, with right. correct research this time. With correct research this time. Yeah, because he had died. I, I didn't really, I was like right. doing it off the top of my head. I should, should never do that. Right before the podcast when yeah. we found out, I think. So. Yeah, I just put it in. All right, for tonight's music, we're going to get into our Latin thing. The Latin thing, that'd be a good title too. <laughs> That's good too. In the episode description, you can find links to Spotify and Apple Music for all the music we're going to talk about. Also, at the top of the description, there'll be a link to the full episode playlist where you can get all the music in one place on Deezer CD quality streaming from France. You can also listen to the podcast on Deezer, get everything in one place. Now, wherever you listen to us, because we're on all different platforms and apps, if you can't see the full description of the recording list or the links aren't active on your app, 
just come over to our host site, Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Everything's laid out very nicely, easy to follow there. If you enjoyed the podcast, please follow or subscribe wherever you listen to us and tell your music-loving friends. If you take a moment as well to give us a ranking or write a short review, it helps us get listed in the music podcast recommendations and we get new listeners that way. Also, you can come follow us on our Facebook page to get extra info and more new releases throughout the week. I always put up a lot of jazz releases early in the morning here in Japan when I find them, take the best ones of the day and put them up if you're looking for something new to listen to. They may or may not show up in a podcast next week. Some of my recommendations are going to show up, all new recordings. And you can uh, leave a message or comment there, see our handsome faces and some Hmm. interaction with the musicians. And if you want to contact us directly with any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. I should say that uh, fine Japanese-born pianist Keigo Hirokawa and his recording Pixel, uh, he noticed what we had written and he kindly shared the episode and said that he enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it was nice to hear from you. Thanks, Keigo. Really nice. Check that out if you haven't listened to it yet. It's on Origin Records. Very exciting recording. And while we're on the topic of podcasts, we want to also recommend our friends over at The Same Difference, Two Jazz Fans, One Jazz Standard Podcast. We talk about new music and they focus on the jazz standards. That's Johnny Valenzuela and Tony Habra who look at several versions of one jazz standard every episode. It comes out twice a month. They play little snippets from each version and they talk about the history of the music and what they like and don't like about the different versions. And as we mentioned in the previous episode, we're going to be having them guest on our show and we're going to have some uh, interaction, collaboration, and probably a really good time uh, talking about some music. So that should be coming up sometime over the summer. We've got to get that organized as our summer schedules free up a little bit and we'll start working on that yeah that'll be really interesting kind of wonder what we're going to talk about (laughs) (laughs) i've got some ideas anyway hey is it time to go south of the border south of the border not for us mexico (laughs) way is that tony bennett dude did he sing that that's dean martin yeah dean martin dean martin sang that okay (laughs) if we go south we're going to end up in the ocean but for all you uh in the u.s all right, so Mexico. yeah, we're yeah we're going. This is going to be a uh, classical, and um, we don't really hear much recorded music from uh, Central and South America. But uh, we, there have been a lot of releases in the last few months, and in fact, especially in June, I think all three of these records come uh, were released in June. Hmm. So, uh, which is interesting enough. And the first of them, I always like to start with something baroque, and this really is a bit off the uh, the baroque uh, beaten track. It doesn't really sound. Yeah. It sounds baroque, but it doesn't sound like European baroque music. Is the point. This is a record called uh, Fiesta Barroca Latina by Ensemble Villanchico, conducted or directed by Peter Pontvik. And he's also um, an instrumentalist in the group, too, I think. And this is on Capris Records in Sweden. They're a Swedish company, and they uh, very kindly uh, sent us <laughs> the, the very long and <laughs> detailed booklet notes for this, yes. which was great. I was really happy to uh, be able to peruse them, and I'm really glad they sent them, too. I, I wrote uh, this guy's name. Uh, Anders uh, Kangemark at Capris Records very generously sent us the booklet for this. So thank you, Anders, for that. And this one was one really uh, worth having because the information on this, this, this music is all ver- it's all unknown. And uh, it's in several different um, sort of languages that um, some of which aren't spoken today and or, or are spoken in dialects or you know, surviving right. in Latin America. And uh, the booklet note goes through that. So this is really a very educational record as well as a very enjoyable one. All right, let me just um, 
before going into the music to explain what um, this album is about, the booklet note, first of all, reminds us that the Americas were a range of diverse cultures already when the first Europeans arrived, okay? And um, they still are, <laughs> although we've we sort of intermingled a bit now. Right. To exploit the resources of the Americas, priests as well as soldiers were required. <laughs> doesn't speak well of priests, Gotta have does both, it? yeah. All right, anyway. Priests brought strict rules of living, sin, shame, and penance. Yeah, I remember that. But also uh, festivities, relaxation, music making, but always in a liturgical guise. So they still had fun back then. And you can hear that in the music, too. Yes, for sure. Uh, feast days like Easter and Christmas gave rise to popular festivities, as they have in um, you know, the United States as well. And these required music. This music appeared in the form of the American genre par excellence, the Villanchico, which means a song from the village. It's a madrigal in ABA form that developed from a single part in the Middle Ages to polyphony in the Renaissance. It became a major genre during the Baroque era, widespread on the Iberian Peninsula and in Latin America. So this album seeks to introduce the listener to the festive atmosphere that 17th and 18th century Latin Americans, descendants of indigenous peoples as well as of Africans and Europeans, could experience every so often in their everyday religious lives. The lyrics are in Guarani, Mapudungun, Mochica, Spanish, and Latin, and I'll mention that as they go. One word we're going to hear often in these titles is the word uh, oigan, which means listen or listen to this. It's sort of like a an encouragement to uh, mm. listen to what the singer is saying. Okay, so let's just start with track one, Juan de Araujo, who was uh, born in Spain and active in Sucre, Lima, and Panama. His piece, Vaya de Gira. It's a villanchico and encourages dancing and playing to mark the birth of the baby Jesus. Yes, this is sung in Spanish, and most of these um, pieces on this album are going to be religious in character. Although there's one that sticks out that really isn't. Uh, we'll mention that when we get to it. It starts, um, this piece starts with percussion, with a rhythm, and we're going to hear a lot of that. Percussion, yep. rhythm, and that uh, wonderful um, Baroque guitar strumming. It isn't Baroque music as we know it from Europe, and it's very lively. There's a strummed Baroque guitar. The vocals are a bit recessed on the recording. They sort of move around from track to track. And in this one, they're a little bit in the background. Mm. Uh, they blend in with the percussion. Castanets are heard in the background, too. And the vocal line is very charming, and the singers all very enthusiastic. Uh, the male singer in the first verse and female in the second are both charming and right in the idiom. So these uh, Spanish lyrics, they have a real kind of Spanish Baroque character to mm. them. And I'm saying this as someone who's listened to, say, Baroque songs from Spain, okay, in other um, albums. I, I really like uh, the characterization here. The singing sounds out of Spanish Baroque singing, as I said. There's a countertenor and mezzo for verses three and four. So also very appealing to the ear, the arrangement of the uh, singers. The soloists each get a chance in different um, verses, the voice is changing, and that's appealing for us as the listeners as well. These are accompanied only by guitar, and uh, the vocalists, the soloists, are very upfront, actually, on the recording. So it's like they've stepped forward from the ensemble to sing. Right. Yeah, they come across with a lot of charm. It's just the choral parts that suddenly quiet down. I would have liked the chorus further forward, but I imagine having worked as an audio engineer before that um, they would have overpowered the uh, <laughs> the uh, the microphones. 
Well, I think this looking at the notes is was recorded in a church space. Yeah. And that room sound really comes across on this recording. And yeah. so maybe they were doing, you know, they're balancing just by changing location naturally, uh, because it does have a real sense of presence, like you're right there in that, you know, large room hall or hall with them. All the instrumental stuff, the the, the non-vocal sounds come across exceptionally well on the recording. And uh, that's really what I'm the biggest fan of anyway, so I was happy about that. Second track is by Anonymous. Uh, yeah, I know him. We, I know him. And they, he was Latin, wasn't he? Yeah, he rode in a lot of styles. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an, an anonymous composer. We don't know who it is. Uh, Cachua Nino, Il Mijor, uh, for Christmas from the Codex Trujillo del Peru, started by Bishop Baltazar Martinez Compagnon in the 1780s. It's a cachua, which is an Andes dance that existed long before the Europeans came. Uh, the church absorbed the dance and rewrote the texts. The language is Spanish with elements of Quechua, a language spoken in the Andes, mostly in Peru. This piece sounds rather like the Peruvian bands that you hear on street corners in cities throughout the oh, world right. these days. We, we have them in uh, Japan as well, occasionally. It's a mid-tempo work with a beat and a guitar line. Uh, there are wind instruments too, mostly recorders, and uh, Peruvian-style strumming Sorry, on the guitar. The song is a devotion to Jesus, and it's very dance-like. Charming and immediately appealing. Charming is a word that I would use for a lot of these works. The, it, yeah. it, the whole album comes across as really charming, for the most part. There are one or two mm. more solemn tracks, but um, it's immediately appealing, too. This, uh, it's very light and uh, high-spirited. The choral singing is a bit more upfront here, perhaps due to the lightness of the accompaniment. Track three, Manuel de Meza y Carizo. Here's that word, oigan. Oigan, escuchen, atiendan. Based on a triple-time dance, yacara or yacarilla. Or jacarilla, you should say. Okay. Uh, it's sung in Spanish. Uh, the flute melody and strummed guitar are really um, upfront, and there's an appealing theme. There are castanets in the back. Choral voices sing the lively theme. All of this music so far though devotional, meaning about uh, church music, is very high energy. The lyric starts out telling us this is a hakarila and uh, eventually gets to devotion to Jesus again. There are solo voices for the verses, all full of Baroque character. They sound great. They're placed all over the soundstage, so you can actually tell where these singers are according to mm -hmm. you know their position in, the, uh, in your headphones. The recording is such that you can imagine where they're standing. It's a bit far but the voices register well here. The solo voices go through all the ranges all the way down to bass. Track four, we get back to Juan de Araujo. Corderito, por que te escondes? Uh, highlights the innermost essence of the Pascal lamb and its transubstantiation into the host. This is sung in Spanish. And the lyric has the Christian theme of the lamb, the bread, the Eucharist. And even with the uh, English translation, this lyric really isn't comprehensible. <laughs> it focuses basically <laughs> on the mystery of the Eucharist, which I guess is not understandable. An article of faith, we should say. This has guitar accompaniment and scattered voices singing in chorus. When I say scattered, I mean like they're not singing the same syllables at the same time. Right. And I really like this effect a lot. They come together for certain sections. The flow that the guitar accompaniment gives these pieces is refreshing and appealing. We once mentioned that um, music from the Americas, whether it be the United States or 
Central or South America is uh, groove driven, as mm. opposed to say, I guess harmony driven or kind of um, you know structural that way. Right. And I think uh, you can hear a little bit about that even in this music from 200 years ago, like the strumming guitar. Hmm. Sort of, it's not really being measured out. I mean, it's playing, you know, it's just being strummed and it sounds great. It almost sounds like pop music in a way or, or folk music. It's really right. um, fantastic. Anyway, so as I mentioned before, I think this ensemble gets the um, idiom exceptionally well. Track five, Gaspar Fernandez, Venimo con Glan Contento. A joyful work for two four part choirs. The dialogue reflects the expected excitement to hear the news of the newborn baby Jesus. This would have been a good album to talk about at Christmas time, actually, because there are quite a few pieces on this about the baby mm. Jesus. It's sung in Afro-Spanish dialect. In the text, visitors from Seville tell descendants of African tribes about the baby Jesus. This has the same flowing, energetic guitar accompaniment that we've heard throughout. Incidentally, the lyrics of this, I was trying to work out what exactly was happening. You had these people from... Spain, I guess, came all the way to Latin America to tell the African tribes living... I don't know what... They're in Latin America. I couldn't work out the uh, mm. geographical location of this uh, lyric. Anyway, no matter. It's a great, uh, very enjoyable piece. Track six, Anonymous, Hara Vale Hava. This is sung in Guarani. And here, warnings against disobedience fall thick and fast, enveloped in a heartbreakingly mournful melody. Indeed, we finally have a break in the energy uh, here in track six. The guitar line is plucked here, so we get to hear another aspect of the beauty of the uh, Spanish Baroque guitar, hmm. I, an instrument I really love hearing. I kind of wish yeah. um, more popular uh, singers or even folk singers of today would use it because it's got this much lighter sound than the acoustic guitar. There are also vibratoless strings playing the mournful accompaniment. The song is sung in the Guarani language, which is spoken in Paraguay, with dialects there, as well as in Argentina, Brazil, and Bolivia. The song exhorts us to remember our sins and repent so that we'll be given new life by God. It's a tenor solo, and I'd like to give the name of the tenor, but the notes only indicate the instrumentation on the track, and there are two tenors on the album, so I can't tell you which one is singing here. It's either Love Troner or Emmanuel Roll, um, but... Um, I really enjoyed the tone of the voice. So, Track 7, Anonymous, uh, composer, Tata Guazu Anya Retamengua, sung in the Guarani language, which is an official language today in Paraguay. Here's the uh, devil, fire, and eternal punishment presented in a kind of doomsday drama. <laughs> but it's a positive message in the end, exhorting us to fear God because he has power over everything, even hell. The music has rumbling bass drum and a dancing guitar rhythm with choral singing. It's got a darkness to it, but in the end, it kind of sounds rather upbeat all the way through. There are solo parts, and I rather liked the echo in the vocal line where the singer will sing a phrase and then repeat it more quietly as though it's sounding back to her, like being echoed from mm. somewhere else. But it's the same singer singing it twice. The ending chorus is in vertical harmony reminiscent of Renaissance-era singing. Track 8, Juan de Araujo, a composer who figures very heavily on this album. Morenita con gracia es María. I guess you have to say gracia for uh, Latin America. Anyway, this is a dialogue between two sopranos about the darkness. It says in the notes, the darkness of the Virgin Mary's skin, among other things, but there's more to it than that. 
One of the uh, singers seems firm in her statements, while the other at first doubts, but then comes around to faith saying, yes, it is possible. This um, track has a tambourine and flute alongside with strumming guitar, and it's a lively tune. The two soprano soloists sing the texts. They are Jessica Becklund and Catherine Lorenzen. They, they don't sound like Spanish names at all, but they're full of Spanish character. Very impressive singing, I have to say. Both are very appealing, and the vocals are right up front and sound great on the recording, too. Track 9, Anonymous, composer, Cachua Serenita, a Marian song of praise from the Codex Trujillo del Peru, uh, started by Bishop Baltasar Martinez Compañón in the 1780s. This is also a Cachua, which is an Andean dance. It's an instrumental, the first we've had on the album, and it starts appealingly with the Andean wooden flute, it's a, it's a recorder. <laughs> yeah, I wrote hmm. a wooden flute here. But uh, there's a percussion, and the guitar has a big part in this, playing the melody sweetly. There's a magical section at a minute and 31 seconds with chiming percussion, and then we hear a brief chorus singing the melody with la-la vowel sounds. This piece ends way too soon. I could have listened to an <laughs> entire album of works like this. It's really... Uh, very upbeat and uplifting, and a really a bit of a unique sound compared to what we normally hear in Baroque music. It just really um, hit the spot for me, let's say. Track 10, Anonymous, Oigan Todos y Todas. Listen, all men and all women. So when you have todos, there's all men, and todas right. with an A would be women. Uh, this is based on the triple-time dance uh, Hakara or Hakarila. I always put that Italian inflection at the end. I just can't stop it. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Gentle, quiet guitar opening. It's sung in Spanish, and this is a song of praise to St. Augustine, of all people, which for me is rather unusual in music of this period. You don't really get much, uh, pe many people singling out St. Augustine for, um, <laughs> for praise in a, in a song. <laughs> anyway, it's a choral work with the men's and women's voices singing in that staggered harmony, singing the consonant sounds not at the same time. As with many of the songs on this album, different verses are sung by different soloists. All of them are appealing voices. I like the effect of the vocal color constantly changing verse to verse. There's light percussion in the background. The instrumentation is a delight for our ears, featuring guitar and recorder, as well as percussion. Track 11, anonymous composer, Tonada del Quimo, from the Codex Trujillo del Peru. Trujillo. Again, a Cachua for the Eucharist and a rare poetic legacy of the extinct Mochica language spoken by the Chimu tribe on the Peruvian coast. So the song is sung in Mochica, and it starts out with a foreboding tone with flutes in high harmony. This is one that you really want the uh, translation for, because there's just no way you're going to know this language unless you're a specialist in it. The text is a prayer asking God for forgiveness. It's sung with gravity by the baritone Yamandu Pontvik, who is also the, uh, the director of the um, ensemble, I believe, with mm. choral women's voices. Let me just... Um, no, it's Peter Pontvik is the uh, director. Sorry, I'm getting confused here. This is Yamandu Pontvik. All right, track 12, Fray Manuel Correda, Dime Pedro por ti vida, sung in Spanish. Now, unless I missed this track in the uh, booklet notes... They don't say anything about Fray Manuel Correa, and this track stands out because it's non-religious. I think the only non-religious track, except for the instrumentals, on the album. It features a woman asking a man whether her various bodily features are pleasing to him. 
For example, her eyes, her gleaming teeth, her mouth, her hands. But in the end, she's also modest saying, I hide that which cannot be seen. Ooh, a little, mm. uh, <laughs> a little Baroque era excitement there. Right. <laughs> anyway. Which was basically everything else, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a charming tune with uh, strummed guitars and castanets, and it has a dancey quality to it, like most of the music on this album. All right, we're kind of changing tone a little bit here for the last four tracks. First, Bernardo Havestadt, who is a German-born Jesuit priest. Kad Budeniev, Jesus Kad, and Ventelou. Uh, he left 19 one-part songs in the compendium Cancionero Chilidugu from 1777 in uh, the Mapudungun language, which is the language of the Mapuche people in southern Chile. The melodies are partly related to German hymns, and this stands out. Uh, with a bit of gravity as a vibratiless cello starts the bass line. The guitar features gently plucked arpeggiated material, and there's a solemn bass drum accompanying the tenor soloist. There's also a soprano solo, and again, I can't single them out, as there are two sopranos and tenors on the album, and I don't know which is singing solos here. The chorus sings in unison, and basically the text is a prayer for forgiveness. Track 14, Francisco Lopez Capillas. Alleluia Dignobis Maria, an Alleluia hymn in which Mary recounts her meeting with the resurrected Christ on Easter Sunday. I want to mention something about this. The Gospels don't say anything about Mary meeting right. her resurrected son, and it's something that's always kind of uh, made me curious about that story. Of course, he right. would have had to have appeared to her, right? I don't know, but uh, something to contemplate. Anyway, he, and it is contemplated in this track. Uh, this is sung in Latin. Uh, the alleluias that begin the piece are polyphonic and very prettily sung here. It goes in repeating sections, a question and answer and choral alleluias in celebration of the answer. Uh, the f track 15, Anonymous, Tonada El Congo, uh, is from the Codex Trujillo del Peru, started by Bishop Baltasar Martinez Compagnon. It's a cachua that it says here reminds listeners of the African victims of slavery. Now, it's an instrumental work, so I don't really know how it reminds listeners of African victims of slavery. But uh, it has a percussion and strumming guitar accompanying what really is a chirpy recorder harmony. Uh, the guitars, uh, it sounds like there are two, played their melodies together in harmony and sometimes veering towards polyphony. The Baroque guitar is such a beautiful sounding instrument, I can listen to it all day. The percussion gets a bit wilder in the second minute of the track, and then everything quietens. Perhaps this is what um, the booklet note is talking about when it says that it reminds listeners of the African victims of slavery. Uh, there's a pause, and the opening dance rhythm comes back with the recorders playing the theme. The final track, track 16, Juan Gutierrez de Padilla, Surcum Dederunt Me. This is from Mexico, and... We're launching into our Mexican theme from here on end because the rest of the classical music we're going to hear on this uh, mm. particular episode is Mexican. So we have our first Mexican piece here. This features a beautiful and heartfelt interlacing of voices over verses 3 to 4 from Psalm 116. It's sung in Latin. It's a work asking for forgiveness. It unfolds like a traditional Renaissance work of polyphony. There are some cool dissonant harmonies along the way. And the vocal ensemble falls into this sound beautifully, with a completely different character uh, than they gave to the more dancing Spanish-language song. So they're very versatile singers as well. A very versatile ensemble is the ensemble Villanchico. 
They've shown themselves to be capable of a wide range of singing styles throughout the album, giving each type of work a clearly delineated character, and they're a big part of what makes this album so enjoyable. And they're singing in a lot of um, sort of dialects and even dead languages as well. This is a really impressive uh, feat by Ensemble Villanchico. So the first thing I want to say in, in summing up this album is that it's the result of some incredible research that dug deep into sources in the Americas. Normally, you wouldn't hear these put into a, a concert, and they're really it's really not concert music. It's more um, devotional. But a program like this would be really something to hear in a live performance as well. As a Baroque recording, its Spanish inflections in the vocals and its constant strummed Baroque guitar accompaniment make it immediately appealing throughout. The music itself is a charming discovery. I found the singing to be full of character, and indeed I love the colors of voices when they sing Spanish Baroque in the proper idiom with the proper inflection, as they do here. I thought the voices were a bit recessed in the recording, the choral parts, and sometimes certain of the soloists could have been moved further forward, but at other times, that's not the case. The booklet notes, which were generously provided to me by Anders Kangemark at Capris Records, I hope I said his name correctly, are very helpful and even essential to understanding what's going on on this record. The record can be enjoyed without knowing the texts, of course, but the notes and texts certainly help you get closer. I have to say, the Swedish, English, and Spanish song texts are also in their respective sections of the booklet, not side by side, so it makes following and understanding the text a bit difficult. You're absolutely going to need a translation, even if you're a native Spanish speaker, because there are some uh, tracks that have um, languages in like these um, Latin American dialects. If you have the CD, you won't be able to do this, though. What, what I did was um, I downloaded the file twice so that right. I could see the text side by side. I actually had both of them. If you have the CD, though, you won't be able to do this. Maybe you could bookmark the pages and flip back and forth between them. Anyway, uh, the album itself is a departure from what we normally expect to hear in Baroque music, but the music is very enjoyable and even refreshing. Most of it has a dancing quality that feels uplifting, and the record is capable of bringing some sunshine into the heart. And it's an ideal record for the beginning of the day. Most of this is really rhythmic, hmm. lots of dance-like feels, energetic. The drums sound huge yeah, <laughs> and they boom so out. <laughs> and the guitar and flute instrumentation has got an appealing rustic character to it. There's an interesting variety with some more solemn-sounding pieces, even an a cappella piece there. And some of the pieces have unexpected but interesting sudden harmonic changes we often hear in European early Baroque, and I'm always excited to hear something that makes me sit up. And there are yeah. a few moments like that in there as well. Yeah, so overall, it's a very energetic and engaging recording of you know completely unfamiliar music to us. So I enjoyed it as well. Yes, so discover something new. Give this a listen. It's really, it's really cheerful too. I think it'll uh, be a welcome uh, listen to listeners. All right, so we're moving on to uh, two albums of Mexican music. The next one is um, Flute Music from Mexico. This is um, by Jonathan Borja on flute and Hector Landa on piano, and it's released by Albany Records. So I want to thank uh, Susan Bush at Albany Records, who was kind enough to send us the CD booklet notes for this. But <laughs> I have to say, though, the um, booklet notes didn't give much away about the music, <laughs> although uh, no. they focus, it focused on the composers, which was, in fact, useful because I didn't really know much about these composers. It's fine, though. This music it really speaks for itself. We'll, we'll go through this in a moment. Let me just uh, tell you a little bit about the uh, artists here. 
Borja, this is um, Jonathan Borja, the flautist or flutist, is associate professor of music at the University of Wisconsin, hmm. Lacrosse, where he the Lacrosse campus, where he teaches flute and music history, and he's a native of Mexico City. And Hector Landa is associate professor of music at the University of Wisconsin Superior Campus, where he teaches all piano courses and music theory. So this is another one of those albums where people teaching have gotten together and recorded an album, and I really generally love these. Hmm. And uh, this is particularly uh, a very good album of music that really is virtually unknown. Or, or at least not yet. A lot of these works are contemporary. So the first track is a uh, work by Arturo Rodriguez, who was born in uh, 1976, contemporary composer. It's called Introspección. I don't have good Spanish. You'll have to excuse me. My Spanish always turns into Italian. Anyway, this is uh, a piece composed in 2020. Uh, Rodriguez is a native of Monterrey, Nuevo León, Mexico, and currently lives in Los Angeles. This work was commissioned during the 2020 COVID-19 lockdown. It's a lot of works we're finding that have, were composed. <laughs> I guess there's nothing else to do. So there's a load of music coming out that was composed during that time and inspired by that time. And it was uh, used for a live stream performance by the conductor and countertenor Ivan Lopez Reynoso. Ivan Lopez Reynoso. Rodriguez reworked the composition for flute and piano later that year. This was originally for a countertenor. Can you imagine? Uh, this starts with arpeggiated piano that can be from any era, really. The piano plays a right-hand theme, then the flute takes over, playing a 3-4 time rocking theme. It is indeed an introspective feel, as the title suggests, and pretty straightforward throughout. One wonders what the version for countertenor would have sounded like. <laughs> I was really finding myself <laughs> trying to imagine that while listening to this. Burha's flute playing has a lovely expressive tone with a light vibrato to the sustained notes. At 2.06, a slightly more dramatic section begins. It's got more of a rapid dancing feel to it in its 3-4 time signature. At 3.41, the A section repeats, and the work acts as a light, soothing introduction to the program. Next is a composer that I'm really interested in, and um, for this work, and there's another work that we're going to hear on the next album as well. This is Jose Pablo Moncayo, who lived from 1912 to 1958. Not a very long time. This work is called Amatzinak. It was composed in 1937. And this is a piano reduction made by Rodrigo Sierra Moncayo and edited by Jonathan Borja. Now, Moncayo was trying to um, come up with a, a kind of music that could be definitively called Mexican. You could think of this um, if you're if you're from the U.S. You could think of like I think Aaron Copeland had a similar project when he was trying to come up with an American mm. kind of music. Like Dvorak had set people from the United States with that uh, project, and um, people from the uh, from Latin America took up that uh, challenge as well. The title comes from Nahuatl, which is an ancient Aztec language. So Moncayo's works often he studied a lot of like Aztec whatever the Essex left behind as music and modeled his music after that. And a lot of it winds up being pentatonic. Now, you hear pentatonic scales all the time in pop music. It's it's a five-note scale, and it's just used all over rock music and uh, popular music in general. So this is going to sound very familiar and uh, appealing mm -hmm. to your ear, although this, this particular work is a little more involved. Okay, The title uh, means Paper River, by the way. 
And there's also a, a flute and string quartet version of this work, and one for solo flute and string orchestra. So this is um, a piano reduction. The solo flute starts this, and falling piano notes come in. The flute is pleasingly in a modal harmony, which makes it immediately appealing to the ear, as I said, pentatonic. Uh, the flute plays a lot by itself in the opening, with the piano coming in with following chords. They get together after the one-minute mark, the flute playing often in its highest range, while the piano plays pairs of chords, followed by a pause. The flute line winds around snake-like as the chords play. It's got that... Because I, I, I would think that if you if you think of um, snake charmers, they're going to play sort of these <laughs> winding kind of pentatonic melodies too. So that it reminded me of that. We hear this pentatonic scale in so many kinds of music just in our everyday lives. At 2.35, there's a pause and a new section, possibly a new movement uh, starts. It's got some aggressive piano chords and the flute starts chirping in its high range over the piano ostinato. At 4.22, the music suddenly calms down after a pause with ticking chords and a mid-range flute melody. I do like the fact that we're hearing the different ranges of the flute, like we're hearing mm -hmm. the the more breathy mid-range and then the higher, more piercing high range. Makes this uh, very appealing to my ears. The piano gets a brief solo section with the material just after the five-minute mark. There's another more aggressive dance section just after the seven-minute mark where the piano falls into another ostinato while the flute plays circling patterns above. Yes, in fact, uh, Moncayo uses a lot of ostinato patterns in his music. As before, the section abruptly stops and the flute plays the opening melody over the opening descending piano chords. The piece ends on an odd chord played by the piano. Track 3, Juan Ra Urusti, born in 1985, a contemporary composer. This piece is called What Lies Within and it was composed in the year 2020. Urusti is a native of Mexico City and this piece starts with a piano arpeggio. The flute plays a theme in the mid-range. It's funny um, how we we have the Moncayo work sort of uh, sandwiched uh, between these two um, contemporary works, and yet the Moncayo work is the more adventurous <laughs> work, mm -hmm. which is really odd to me. These two works are fairly conservative in their harmony, and the, but they're very appealing for all of that. At the 45-second mark, there's a flute trill uh, followed by rumblings in the lower end of the piano, which the flute then plays staccato over. Despite some interesting effects, like the piano trill in its highest notes, which are barely audible, it's kind of a cool effect, though. The piece remains melodic and at times gets dramatic. There's a rather dramatic statement in the third minute after which chiming descending arpeggios are heard in the piano as the flute plays melodic material over that. I'd say the piano has the more interesting part in this work. The flute is playing beautifully, but more traditionally melodically, over the changing accompanimental sounds. At 7.24, a more percussive syncopated rhythm is heard in the piano as the flute chirps staccato tones above it. At 9.17, there's a pause and a new, more jagged section begins with diving flute lines and a marching set of chords in the piano. It eventually smooths out with piano arpeggios accompanying the rougher melody in the flute in the 11th minute. There's one further sparkling section with arpeggios in the high end of the piano in the 12th minute accompanying a beautiful folk-like melody in the flute. This eventually returns to its romantic center of gravity in 3-4 time as the piece heads to an end. Whenever I say 3-4 time, it could always be 6-8. We don't really know, but <laughs> it's got that 3 feel. Okay, track 4 is Samuel Zeman, Z-Y-M-A-N, uh, born in 1956, a contemporary composer. 
older than us, actually. By a ways. <laughs> By a ways. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Cancion de Cuna. I'm getting up there myself. Cancion de Cuna from 2019. Uh, Zeman is New York based. I hope I'm saying his name right. Please forgive me, Mr. Zeman, if you're listening. He uh, He's New York based and teaches music theory and analysis at the Juilliard School and at Vanderbilt University. This piece was commissioned by the flutist Cindy Ann Braz. It's got a melodic theme. Very, It's very pretty with arpeggiated chords accompanying. The flute part goes into its highest range and plays beautifully throughout. The feel is romantic and light. There are some appealing chord progressions that extend the melody into some interesting spaces. The piano accompaniment is pretty much the same style throughout, except for solo sections and the block chords in the fourth minute, which changes things up in the now decorated melody. At around 5.50 or so, the opening theme returns. And then track five, Diana Circe, contemporary composer. Beldad y Fuerza, this is composed in 2007. Circe is a singer as well as a composer, and the work's title means Female Beauty and Strength. Starts with a circling arpeggiated figure. The flute comes in strongly with a line in its upper range. There are lovely ripples on the rolled piano chords while the flute plays. In the first minute, the piano changes rhythm with the flute melody suddenly shifting as well. And in the second minute, there's a sudden brief change to a dancing rhythm that disappears as quickly as it came and a melodic figure follows. It ends with an open, unresolved harmony. And I guess I should just mention that the, the duo here is just on top of every one of these changes, rhythmic, mm. melodic in uh, all of these works so far. And uh, I'm always a big fan of the rhythmic profile of a classical work. I think it's very important, and we're hearing that all over, really, all three of these albums. Anyway, tracks six through nine, Eduardo Gamboa, uh, born 1960, Transparencias, from uh, 1997. The piano reduction is by Gonzalo Romu. This work is a divertissement, originally for flute and string trio, dedicated to Brazilian flutist Tadeo Coelho. The music recreates popular Mexican music that Gamboa enjoyed as a child, and enjoyable it is. I mean, for the first time in this album since the Moncayo work, um, we're hearing something that we would think of as Mexican if we hear it. Mm. Uh, the other works, you know, they're Mexican works, but they're kind of more sort of in a traditional rhythm and harmony. But here, we're hearing uh, four movements in a really Mexican character. Uh, the first uh, one, called Torito, is inspired by the music of the Gulf of Mexico, or Veracruz, uh, particularly the son Torito Zacamandu. There's a bit of a change of pace right on this track as the flute opens the piece with a sharply etched rhythm to its melodic figure. The piano accompanies with lightly touched staccato chords, and I like the way the piece leaps around in its rhythms. The piano rhythm we hear just before the one-minute mark has what we would think of as a Mexican rhythm, sounding like a folk dance. Uh, the flute sings a melody over that characteristic of the dancing piano style. It's very pretty and immediately appealing. The playing here is completely in character. This is a very enjoyable performance. The rhythm briefly speeds up at the end to give the ending a lift. And I think on a piece like this, and really these next three movements, you, we really need to be happy that we have uh, Mexican performers because they really <laughs> get this idiom exceptionally well. The second uh, movement, which is track seven, Barullo is a lullaby in a characteristic style of the Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, the piano part at the beginning is close to mid-tempo and is pretty busy for a lullaby. This is, this is a pretty active uh, work <laughs> for a lullaby. 
At the 37 second mark, the flute theme comes in playing a vocal style melody. This also has a characteristic Mexican feel to it in the way the rhythm dances and pulls the melody along with it. The piece winds down in its last few bars via a ralentando. The third movement, track 8, Rompe, makes reference to Cuban music. The opening piano rhythm has hints of a habanera rhythm. There's some spice to the piano chords. The flute comes in after the 32nd mark and plays a theme that leaves its last note suspended over the rhythm. It then goes into its high end. At the minute and 33 second mark, the rhythm picks up some complexity and tempo, and there's a sudden shift in the flute playing. I guess it comes as no surprise that the duo characterized this music exceptionally well. Hector Landa does a lot to set the feel of the piece at the piano. And of course, Jonathan Borja pulls out the Mexican flavor of the work well in his flute playing. The piece ends rather by surprise with a quiet ending pattern. The ninth uh, track, this is the fourth movement, Jarabe, makes reference to the music of the state of Jalisco. This starts with the piano imitating a two-note guitar chord. Uh, the flute plays its highly rhythmic theme, staccato, giving it the lift necessary to put this tune across. The light dance character of this and the other pieces is brought to life by these two musicians. It all unfolds beautifully. There's a further new rhythm toward the end of the first minute. In fact, we hear the material go through a lot of rhythmic variations. In the second minute, the piano gets a solo variation full of teasing pauses. Flute and piano then trade lines in the next variation, and these variations keep coming. They're all rather brief, and each new one comes as a delightful rhythmic surprise. Gambo is very creative in coming up with further and further rhythmic pleasures. This is a very satisfying ending to this four movement work, and I would suggest that people um, sampling the album sample one of these four tracks, track six through nine. This was my favorite work on the album. And we end with track 10, Arturo Marquez, a contemporary composer born in 1950. Danzon number five, Portales de Madrugada, 1997, arranged for flute and piano by Jonathan Borja. The piano plays a rhythmic descending bass line in his mid-range as the flute winds out a melody. The rhythm begins driving the piece, which remains lively throughout, and generates some rhythmic excitement that's surprising in a flute and piano duo. Um, again, the duo's genuine feel for the dance rhythm of the music makes this piece really come to life. The piano being the more percussive instrument really drives the dance nature of the piece home. It's a fantastic, characterful ending to an enjoyable program. This is all enjoyable music on the surface, and none of it is going to challenge one's conceptions of music. A lot of it's kind of conservative and pretty straightforward, with the Moncayo piece, as usual, being a standout. And uh, his music needs to be better known, I think. Most of the contemporary pieces are all straightforward melodic works that occasionally veer into light drama. They're song-like and highly melodic. And for me, the standout work was Eduardo Gamboa's Transparencias, which evokes Mexican song and dance forms and really livens up the album, as well as the final track, Arturo Marquez's Danzón No. 5. I liked the second half of the album a lot more than the first half, but I really liked it all. The album sends the message that the composed music is alive and well among Mexican composers. They have a lot to draw from and a lot of creativity of their own. And we should really be more aware of it. And I'm glad I am uh, through this album. I've, uh, I kind of wish I was still playing the piano. I wouldn't mind uh, trying one or two of these out. The flute tone here is rich and expressive mm -hmm. and explores all the registers, getting uh, interesting tones. And the material has a lot of variety from the more dreamy, impressionistic ideas in the Urusti to the more Latin dance feels in the Gamboa. 
And as you mentioned, it sort of takes on more of a rhythmic Latin dance character as the album goes on and leaves you kind of energized at the end of the program. So I thought it was unique, easy to listen to. There's a few surprises harmonically in there, but overall, most of it is pretty smooth and uh, the piano parts are interesting as well. So I don't often sit down to a whole program of flute music, but I was uh, engaged and entertained by this one. Yeah, nice timbres throughout. I rather like the sound of the flute, so I'm always happy to hear that. Okay, our last classical album for tonight is uh, called Guacamaya, Songs and Chamber Music from Mexico. And this is by Mr. McFall's Chamber and uh, features also Jamie McDougall as tenor on the songs. Mr. McFall's Chamber consists of Claudio Constantini on the piano, Stuart Semple on percussion, Cyril Garak on violin, Robert McFall, I guess he's Mr. McFall, Mr. McFall. on violin, Brian Shele on viola, Sua Lee on the cello, and she makes a brief appearance on the musical saw at the end. We'll get to that. And Rick Stanley on the double bass. And this is on the Delphian label from the UK. A note on this program says that the tenor and Mr. McFall's chamber have had a love affair with Mexican music that goes back 30 years. And I have to say, uh, Mexican music, once you start hearing it, is something that's pretty easy to start to love. It's it's um, mm. it's as rich as American music. And uh, they're going to make that point in this uh, booklet note as well. The album charts a journey through nationalist, modernist, folk, and Aztec influences to the modern day. Guess where the Aztec influences come from? <laughs> anyway, I already mentioned uh, that composer. Anyway, Jamie McDougall claims that the Mexican 20th century repertoire is the equal of the American songbook and should be much better known and more widely heard. Now, that might sound, if you know the American songbook, you might be saying, whoa, that's crazy. But it's not. Mexico is an extremely musical culture, just like the United States. And there is a lot of variety and just fantastic songs and different musical forms there. It's really a musical culture that it would be easy to get lost in if one decided to do that. Dougal himself would know something about this because his wife is from Mexico, and this has given him a special affection and knowledge of that country's culture. Now, for me, Manuel Ponce's music I know a bit about, but Augustin Lara and Maria Grever are also two of the best-known Mexican songwriters of the early to mid-20th century. So, by the way, speaking of Mexican song, there was that uh, Pixar movie recently, um, Coco, right? And right. Uh, it features a lot of really famous Mexican songs in that some of them were written for the uh, movie remember me is not a traditional mexican song it was actually written for the movie but there's some really uh, traditional mexican songs in that movie too so kind of like fantasia was a big uh, introduction to classical music for me in my childhood if you want right. your children to be introduced to mexican music you can't do better than have them see the movie coco Anyway, while Robert McFall is really responsible for the arrangements heard on the album, he asked not to be credited as arranger because he largely transcribed other people's arrangements in order to retain the authenticity of the origins of the original hmm. material. Okay. Anyway, his hand is in there somewhere. All right, so we're going to start this um, album out with uh, some songs. Maria Grever, 1885 to 1951. Cuando vuelva a tu lado. In English, that means, when I come back to your side, and it was written in 1934. Now, if you're a sort of fan of American music, of music from the United States, this melody is better known in the United States as, uh, what a difference a day makes, 
Right. So, uh, sang in 1959 by Dinah Washington. Right. She made it famous, but yeah. also a load of other singers have sung it as well. But uh, you can check out the Dinah Washington recording. I actually did listen to that. It has a lot of strings on it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Great vocal performance, though. So, yeah, this is um, in English, What a Difference a Day Makes. In, in Spanish, Cuando Velva a Tu Lado. And it's originally a Mexican song. Grever moved to New York during the revolution, which occurred from uh, 1910 to 1920 in Mexico, to live with her American husband, Leo Grever. She was a busy Hollywood composer during her career, and this arrangement was adapted from the Mexican pianist, composer, and conductor Chucho Zarazosa, which he wrote for the singer Libertad Lamarck. So the opening string theme is very pretty and more appropriate here than on the Dinah Washington version. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a big fan of like that old jazz with strings. It kind of reminds me of Mantovani. <laughs> Remember those records? Yeah. Oh boy, it's it's a great melody. Uh, the opening verse is an intro. Uh, the arrangement comes across as a Latin lounge arrangement with light percussion. The singing is fantastic. It's got a pretty authentic tone, though it's uh, operatic. It's on the operatic side from Jamie McDougall. I'm guessing that McDougall is an opera singer first. He's got that kind of Mexican passion in his vocals, but it kind of, for me, veers into Italian opera. He he, he has like a, a lot, of, he often mm -hmm. has like a spinto voice, which is the sort of thing that we like to hear from Italian tenors. The performance comes across as something you'd hear in a post-war nightclub, and it comes across as the classic song that it is. It's a very good performance. Javier Alvarez is the composer on track two. This is, uh, he's a contemporary composer. This is Metro... Chabacano. This is an instrumental piece. It's originally for string orchestra. The ensemble arranged the piece for string quartet with double bass and side drum. It turns out Alvarez made his own reduction for string quartet, and after discovering this, the ensemble incorporated its parts into their own version, but they kept the double bass and side drum. I guess because they like the sound. Mm. This was originally written in 1986 as a Christmas present for Alvarez's parents. The string quartet version was made to accompany a kinetic installation by the sculptor Marcos Jimenez, which was to be on display in Metro Chabacano Underground Station in Mexico City, hence the name of the piece. Um, the string orchestra verse was originally called Canción de, de Tierra y Esperanza. So the opening rhythm features pulsing strings with the instruments coming in from high to low. The rhythm has the chugging of a train and the high violin melody is dance-like with heavy, passionate rhythm. The rhythm itself holds steady throughout and defines the piece as part natural dance, part mechanical. It's enjoyable and rather pleasant with a very slight, aggressive edge to it. Yeah, I could hear this piece as part of the installation, too. Track three, Maria Grever. We're back to her. I don't know how we say this. Maria Grever. Uh, Jurame or Jurame uh, means promise me. This song was Grever's first international hit. As with the opening track, this arrangement was adapted from the Mexican pianist, composer, and conductor Chucho Zarzosa, and he wrote this for the singer Libertad Lamarck as well. Strings are back for this, and I like the string quartet sound on this album over the string orchestra often used on these songs. McDougall sings this in much the same voice as the opening track, and his voice has tinges, as I said, of Italian opera tenor as well as popular Mexican singer in it. The approach leans towards opera, but contains the phrasing elements that make this a distinctly Mexican song. The arrangement is much the same as the opening track, and it's another great, passionate melody. 
Track four, Joaquin Gutierrez Heras, Canción en el Puerto, which means Song of the Port, for cello and piano. This is a deceptively simple atmospheric piece in a postmodern style, according to the booklet. Heras has an impressive pedigree. He studied in Paris with Nadia Boulanger, Jean Rivier, and Olivier Messiaen, and mm. with William Bergsma and Vincent Persichetti at the Juilliard School. Boy, he's just got all the great teachers of the 20th century. Anyway, he composes film scores and classical works. And uh, he is deceased. He's, he lived 1927 to 2012. It starts with gentle chords in the piano while the cello plays the melody warmly. At 2.30, we're arrived at the uh, dramatic climax, or at a dramatic climax, after which the cello gently takes us back to the opening via tentative pizzicato lines. It ends in a gentle, melodic style. It's started in, beautifully articulated, by the cello and piano here. Track 5, Augustin Lara, Aracame la vida, tear out my life, that means. <laughs> this is an old song. Lara brought the tradition of romantic song from the drawing room to the streets. He grew up playing the piano in bars and brothels from a young age and often addresses his love songs not to fine ladies, but to ladies of the night. He had a facial scar that he received from an argument with a showgirl in a bar. <laughs> That's a rough life. Anyway, his years are circa 1897 to 1900 to 1970 when he died. This has a clear tango rhythm and feel to it. A McDougal is more in popular singer mode here. He doesn't quite get that smoldering, passionate quality a singer of tango would in the verses. But once again, the musicality is all there, with well-shaped lines and a bit of passion when his voice opens up for the end of the chorus. He clearly loves these songs, and it's obvious from the performance. Okay, so our first big multi-movement piece on the album is next, track 6 through 9, Manuel Ponce, Cuatro Danzas Mexicanas. For piano, from 1941, this features Claudio Constantini on the solo piano. Movement one, vivo, and moving to meno mosso espressivo. It's a complete change of pace from the music we've heard so far. Uh, this um, falls squarely in classical music style. The brief piece starts with a descending line that repeats several times, and any kind of theme is buried in there. You can hear it's a two-part line. At the 48-second mark, a more song-like theme is presented, building in tension, then pulling back, and building again to the end of the piece. Uh, movement two, track seven, vivo, moving to più lento. Here, piano flourishes frame the light, fluttery theme. It gets repeated several times as in the first dance, then goes off into new directions, building tension and passion. At 53 seconds, as in the first dance, a more song-like theme is introduced with pretty harmony. It ends quickly and emphatically. Movement three, track eight, vivo, moving to meno mosso has a busy opening line, strongly registering with occasional octaves in the theme. There's a lot of decorative material, making the sound a bit virtuosic. Again, in the middle, a new melodic section is introduced. This happens just after the one-minute mark. Final uh, movement, movement four, track nine, Vivo, moving to poco meno. This has bold, ringing bell-like opening uh, on the piano. Uh, the figuration continues throughout the first half, this sounds very Spanish in the way it comes down on the final notes of the phrase. Midway through, a song-like melody is introduced briefly. There's a buildup of tension, a release, then the melody is given more time to grow further. 
A crescendo toward the end is suddenly interrupted, and the piece ends with a brief, quiet final statement following an emphatic bass note, or followed by an emphatic bass note. Track 10 is also by Manuel Ponce, Portimi Corazon. This is one of his songs, and it harks back to the drawing room culture of the decades before the revolution, so before 1910. But at the same time, Ponce was a collector of folk songs and an authority on popular music of all kinds. He wanted to create a Mexican style, integrating folkloric elements into his classical compositions. This is a straightforward romantic song with gentle accompaniment under Jimmy McDougall's, again, rather Italianate tenor voice. It's a big, full-toned voice. Um, He sounds like an operatic spinto, especially here. It works for this type of song well enough. Um, but isn't quite what we're used to hearing in this type of song. Still, the voice is inviting, as is the song's melody. A warm performance all around. Track 11, Arturo Marquez. We heard him on the previous album, too. He had the uh, album ending track. Here is his uh, homenaje a Gismonti for string quintet, composed in 1993. So McFall discovered this piece in a string quartet version and added a double bass part after hearing one on a recording. Marquez's father was a mariachi musician and his grandfather a folk musician. The title, of course, refers to the Brazilian guitarist Egberto Gismonti, of whom I have a lot of of his albums. The quintet starts with repeating pizzicato patterns, making the piece recall a plucked guitar accompaniment. A violin plays the melody, which is pretty busy until it's handed off to the cello and double bass. Textures change after the minute and 50 second mark, and the piece takes on a more pulsing, propulsive style for a while until it dissolves into more sparsely harmonized accompaniment, allowing the melody lots of space. At 3.30, there's a pretty haunting texture from the ensemble. In the fourth minute, we're hearing something more fragmented. The piece winds up being slowly kaleidoscopic in the way it keeps to one pattern and then suddenly turns to another. At 5.45 we hear a forlorn cello melody with light chordal accompaniment from the upper strings. There's an interesting hesitant pizzicato approach at 6.30, the pizzicati and the double bass sounding especially rich. Marquez is inventive with the timbres he gets out of the strings and more specifically with when they appear. I like the whole sound of the piece. It approaches its end via a repeating pattern. So Arturo Marquez is a contemporary composer. We heard two of his works, and I really enjoyed both of them. I'm going to have to seek out some more music by this composer. Track 12, Augustine Lara, Granada, Lara's most famous song. It's about a city in Spain that the composer, at the time he wrote the song, had never visited. Isn't that always the case? The opening figure in this is very famous. Parts of it recall one of Carmen's arias from um, the opera. McDougall makes the song sound Italian with his very Italian tenor of a voice. I kind of feel like uh, in I get a picture of him as a tourist visiting this Spanish city um, just by his uh, vocal. It's a finely sung performance, though with rich tone throughout. The phrasing makes the song specifically Spanish, and McDougall picks that up. There are castanets, too, to make sure no one is left wondering where Granada is. <laughs> All right. This next um, piece turned out to be a standout for me. Pablo Moncayo, tracks 13 through 15. This is his sonata for viola and piano. So the um, violist is uh, Brian Shelley, and Claudio Constantini is the piano. 
Moncayo, along with the composer we're going to hear next, uh, Silvestre Revueltas, tried to take inspiration from Aztec music and distance itself from the European mainstream. The recreation of Aztec music was done via reading 16th century manuscripts, looking at artworks depicting an Aztec musical performance, and listening to modern folk music with Aztec elements. This piece, written toward the end of his time at the National Conservatory of Music, shows the influence of his composition teacher, Carlos Chavez's study of Aztec music. Elements of Aztec music include pentatonic melody, and we're going to hear that all over this piece. The avoidance of traditional classical modulation, the folky block chords and dominance of particular intervals like the minor third and perfect fifth, according to Chavez in his 1928 lecture, La Musica Azteca. This is a three-movement work, track 13, the first movement, Allegro Moderato, and I liked the directly played but veiled, because of the viola's tone, of this piece. You can hear the pentatonics right away in the viola line. The scale falls on the ear pleasantly with the familiarity of a popular song. The viola starts chugging after that as the piano gets the main material for a while. This chugging rhythmic figure then goes back to the piano as the viola retakes the lead. The piece is highly appealing, and each section is rather a surprise of appealing turns or phrase of pattern. It's Debussy-esque at times, and melodies have a lot of space to them and tend to curve one way or another. Second movement, Lento, track 14, is a very appealing modal and even Debussyan opening on the piano. The piano gets solo time for an entire minute and 15 seconds, and then the viola finally comes in, playing modally over the cushioning piano chords. Scala, I don't know how to say his name, Scala pro projects with this dark tone instrument well, and Constantini is a very sympathetic player, serving the piece at all times. They blend well together, especially in the double-stopped viola line, being heard at 238, with piano chords below. At 328, there's a long pause on a sustained chord, after which a new section begins with the viola bowing harmonic notes high in its range as the piano sketches out a melodic accompaniment in a high range. There's lots of space here. This piece is very inviting to the listener. Lovely soft piano chords are heard at the six minute mark, after which the opening theme returns in the piano after a brief pause. The viola spells out an earlier melody in its low end, Great harmony in the piano chords in the last minute of the movement. It sounds like there are open fifths in the chords, very satisfying to the ear. The piece sort of evaporates at its ending. Then we get the third movement, Allegro. This is track 15. Uh, this has a syncopated rhythm with a viola line that perpetually travels on eighth notes. Again, modal melodies are being traced out on the viola as the piano keeps the lively rhythm moving. At 150, we hear a transition to a new approach of the material. The piece gradually quiets and slows down as it approaches its final minute. Then it picks up a bit to repeat the opening material. The performance of this movement probably could have more rhythmic verve to it, but it's the modal material that's jumping out at me in this performance. This was my favorite work on the album, and I'd urge you to sample it, especially the first two movements. Tracks 16 through 18, Silvestre Revueltas, Tres Piezas for Violin and Piano. The notes don't indicate which of the violinists is playing on this track. I'm going to guess it's Cyril Garak, since he's the quartet's first violinist. The director, Robert McFall, takes the second violin. Uh, the outer two movements show the influence of Bartok's folk-inspired modernism and the primitivism of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. 
but taken to new extremes. Yes, Revueltas was a man of extremes. This finding a new direction in folk music or primitivism was not just a turning away from late Romanticism as it had been in Europe, but also, and more specifically, a turning away from colonial influence for composers of this era. First movement, this is track 16, Allegro, has hammering, rapid, repeated piano notes. One note accompanies a slashing violin line. I could tell listeners are already <laughs> running away from this piece. But it's pretty exciting, I thought. The piece is aggressive rhythmically and sonically. It slows after 40 seconds to a melodic figure, but it's rhythm that drives this. The piece alternates between a violin melody over aggressive piano and an aggressive harsh-toned line, which is what we hear to end this rhythmically exciting movement. The middle movement, Lentamente, this is track 17, is largely pentatonic to bring it closer to an Aztec feel. It has a lullaby quality to it with chiming chords in the piano's mid-range, accompanying the violin's lilting melody. At the end, the violin lifts into its harmonic range for some lovely harmonic tones. The final piano chord is high up in its range. And the final movement, Allegro, moving to Allegro Vivace. <laughs> the hammering piano chords are back, rapidly repeating as the harsh violin circles around a rapid ostinato pattern. At the end, there's a brief solo section for the violin, after which he goes up to the high end with a squeaking, aggressive tone to end the piece over the piano's emphatic, hammered-out chords. Yep, that's uh, Silvestre Revueltas' <laughs> music. In a nutshell, I have other recordings of his music in there. He's he's pretty wild. Anyway, the album ends with a song by Manuel Ponce, a very famous song called Estrelita from 1912. Uh, the first verse is arranged from Ponce's own published score for voice and piano. The second a verse is instrumental and uh, was arranged from the violin and piano arrangement by the violinist Yasha Heifetz. And the ensemble then added a third and final verse, which features the musical saw. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> We're brought down to earth here. Um, the first verse is sung in McDougal's spinto voice, going up for the high notes like a romantic tenor. He shapes the melody beautifully, and there's a lot to work with in this beautiful song. The second verse features a sweet-toned violin. Again, I'm guessing it's Cyril Garak, since he sits in the first violin chair. This is rather syrupy in arrangement. I, the Heifetz arrangement is a bit syrupy, uh, which I suppose is how people like it or liked it back then and how Heifetz arranged it. Once the solo violin gets the melody alone, it's simply sweet-toned and lovely. At 4.50, the musical saw comes in for the melody, played by the cellist Su Ali, and sounding a lot like a theremin, really. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, like aliens have landed and, enchanted by the melody, decided to sit in. We hear McDougal one last time at the end and the musical saw to close out the piece and the program. So in the end, this is an album featuring classical compositions and popular songs sung in an old-style, popular way. It's a beautiful album. I was especially taken by the instrumental pieces, none of which I had heard before. Overall, the album juxtaposes different styles and comes across like a tour through different musical styles heard in Mexico in the 20th century, from popular song to classical multi-movement work. The performances are all fine. For me, the Moncayo piece stood out for its instant appeal and inventive ideas within what one would think are limited means, like pentatonic scales. It's an interesting listen all the way, though. My first impression was it was a bit of an odd mix when I was oh, yeah, going was. back and forth between the vocal pieces and the chamber music. But then 
Overall, it comes off as kind of charming. The nice contrast that mixes up the chamber pieces. You get a little kind of ear palette cleanse there. And mm-hmm. uh, that was good. Uh, everything's accessible and pretty compelling, especially his voice uh, getting, you know, the emotion wrung out of those tunes. You can tell he really likes this music. And I thought the classical pieces were interesting. A first listen for me on all of them. And I found it enjoying. And when I got to the end, I thought the program was overall very satisfying. Would you call the uh, Revueltas piece uh, accessible, you think? To me it was, yeah. Yeah, um, I think so, yeah. Compared okay. to, <laughs> from our standard, well, we, we could we really to, yeah. <laughs> go off, I think, on some things. It's just very aggressive sounding. I like yeah. that, though. I found I find music like that exciting, even at my advancing age. <laughs> All right, over to the jazz side. And as I mentioned, we're going to be staying on the trombone a lot tonight. And we're going to have some Latin inspiration. Actually, our first inspiration is going to come from Africa. We're going to have some great arranging to listen to tonight here. So let's start out with our first album by trombonist Javier Nero. Kemet, The Black Land. It's on Outside in Music. came out June 23rd. Now, who is Javier Nero? He has a bachelor degree of music from Juilliard, a master's of music from University of Miami, in studio and jazz writing, and he graduated in May of 2017 with a Doctor of Musical Arts degree and a minor in classical trombone performance at the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. So he's got a big academic background as well, and he's played with and recorded with some big Grammy award-winning names, Brian Lynch, John DeVersa, trumpet players, as well as other players, Shelley Berg, Martin Mejorano, and many others. And we just heard him a couple weeks ago on Stephen Feifke's latest big band recording, Catalyst, and his previous release, also on Outside of Music, 2020's Freedom. So check that one out as well. The album, this is from the notes, meditates on Kemet, the ancient Egyptian highly advanced black civilization, mesmerized by the Great Society, which was the birthplace of higher education among bounteous pillars of Western ideas and democracy. Nero presents his sweeping new enterprise in the spirit of the prosperous and often historically overlooked land of Kemet. This album represents my family, my experience, and my musical influences, my African roots, my European roots, my native roots, my Hispanic roots, and a bit of that inexplicable human experience we all share. I now offer to you the summation of these experiences in sound. I've combined some unique musical elements together on this album, and I hope they come out sounding golden to your ears. And they sound pretty golden to me. Yeah. About this music, he says, The music on Kemet, the black land uses many African rhythms combined with a very typical Western harmonic structure and near symphonic orchestration style. The composer was inspired by the lush sounds of a wind ensemble in his arrangement process. A common musical theme on this release is the use of the pentatonic scale. We've been hearing a lot of that so far tonight on these the Mexican pieces, right? And the scale itself is a through line connecting many different cultures. The five-note scale is found in the tribal or traditional music of Africa, Europe, and Asia. Nitto's writing entwines elements of soul folk and Americana into a sound that is strongly rooted within the jazz idiom. Yeah, so there's a lot of elements going on in this music. Comes out with, you know, some Latin influence, but mostly straight in the jazz idiom. And there's a whole cast of performers on this recording, and that information I couldn't find online. So 
I wrote to our friend Simeon Davis over at Outside of Music, which is trombonist Nick Finzer's label, and Simeon's manning the helm for him over there. And he got back to me right away because I didn't realize I didn't have all the information I needed. And so he saved my preparation for the podcast. So thanks a lot, Simeon, for that. Here's who we've got in the ensemble on saxophones, Daniel Andrews, Daniel Dickinson on altos, Andrews on lead alto, uh, soprano, also flute, and Dickinson's also on flute and clarinet. Xavier Perez, tenor saxophone and clarinet. Clay Pritchard, tenor sax and clarinet. Dustin Mollick, Barry sax and bass clarinet. And you're going to hear that bass clarinet come through on this recording a lot. On the trumpet section, two lead players, Josh Kaufman, Ken McGee sharing the lead. Graham Breedlove, Alec Aldred, and Chris Burbank. And they also make dual duties on the flugelhorn. Trombones, Javier Neto himself is on lead trombone. We've got Luke Brimhall on trombone, all tracks except two, three, four. Ben Patterson, tracks two, three, and four. Aaron Eckhart on trombone and on the bass trombone and tuba, Jake Kraft. Rhythm section, we've got Michael Kramer, acoustic and electric guitar. James Collins on piano tracks five, six, and eight. Josh Richman on piano, all tracks except those previous ones. Reagan Bro on acoustic and electric bass, tracks five, six, and eight. And William Ledbetter, acoustic and electric bass on all the other tracks. Kyle Swan on a drum kit. We've got some auxiliary musicians. Fran Vielma on percussion, tracks three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Kyle Athade, A-T-H-A-Y-D-E, I don't know, vibraphone on track three. Daniel Wirtz on vocals, track three. Javier Neto contributes some vocals himself on tracks seven and eight. Ben Bocor, alto flute, flute and clarinet, tracks three, four, six, and eight. We've got some special guest artists. The great trumpeter Sean Jones on tracks two, four, seven, and nine. Randy Brecker shows up for a track, track five. And Warren Wolf on vibes, Track one, two, four, five, seven, eight, and nine. He's featured on solos on tracks one and five. Tim Green as well. And then Christy Dashiell vocals tracks four, seven, and eight. That's a big ensemble of musicians yeah, here. A lot. That, that list went on for a long time. <laughs> it sure did. That's a lot of people on that record. So let's jump right in on the first track, The Blues Reincarnated. And drums kick it into a bluesy held chord with rumbling bass, wailing sax, guitar vibes, and piano. Then we get a slow, steady beat on a light hi-hat for a thick trombone and sax arrangement. It builds with funky bass, adding to the berry sax lines on the left with great syncopation. Vibes join in and the horn layers stack on with screaming trumpets. Richmond gets a funky and bluesy piano solo with great interaction with Ledbetter's bass. Check that out. There are great backing lines of trading horn sections. Richmond throws in a fun little Cuban rhythmic lick. And things get into a full band groove over a great scratchy rhythm guitar building up to a bluesy vibe solo from Wolf with a couple Latin lick touches as well. The bass, drum, and guitar groove is really killer underneath. Swan settles things in with a drum break into another full band build up to a final trumpet scream that brings in Nero's solo. And he works around the harmonic extensions here uh, with great relaxed phrasing, building up steam. And we've get these great backing lines, boobap, 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 kind of uh, one-two punches behind that. I like that. And the band builds up in a final section to the end. I love those berry sax and bass combined lines for that thick lower end. Swan gets some fills on the drums before a final hold that's like the beginning with trumpet screams galore. Track two is called Time. 
And this tune has a unique hypnotic six-beat rhythmic pattern of alternating chords that starts right out on a cool tonal mix of bass clarinet and vibes. Bass and drums join in more with soft horn layers. Uh, vibes and horn melody lines develop on top with crossing trombone lines. At about a minute and 15 seconds, there's a pause and a rhythmic restart to a trumpet explosion into a snaky modal soprano sax solo over the hypnotic rhythmic pattern. Uh, things settle down for a soft start for a trumpet solo. I think it's Sean Jones here. He works up to a nice mix of articulation and high rips and some amazing high interval licks and lip trills before coming back down softly. Ledbetter's bass then switches up the rhythm pattern into a section with synced lines of bass clarinet in the left channel and bass trombone in the right. Very cool. Uh, flute and vibe lines stack on top, and then a full band buildup with tight horn stabs back into the original rhythmic pattern. So another pause into a trumpet explosion, and then they vamp on the rhythm for Swan to mix things up on the drum kit with a long solo of complex rhythmic ideas, and the horns kick in for a final exciting line and a big blast of an ending. Track 3, Reflections on the Dark, Tranquil Water. It starts with unhurried trickling solo piano from Richmond. Soft layers of brass and flutes build gently in flowing rubato, and after a hold and a pause, descending bass and bass clarinet lines enter, alternating with ringing vibe figures and a steady medium tempo marked out by cymbals, and then Latin clicks that gets going. There's a dreamy flute and vocal melody line from Danielle Wirtz with the flute and horn lines that build around it. The vocal line gets some spots to hang in space with ringing vibes doubling it, and a lushly arranged section of horns comes to a slowdown and hold again. Richmond's rippling piano emerges solo from that with rising rubato, cascading lines, and waves of bass notes, then a completely new rhythmic feel with softly pulsing repeated bass and piano notes in an 8-beat pattern over light percussion sets a dreamy mood for Neto's trombone solo. His lines ascend from the low register with a huge warm tone and vibrato. Soft flugelhorn lines answer his phrases in an arrangement as he becomes more animated. And there's a joyful sense to his lines that have a reaching quality into the high register. The horn arrangement swells around him, getting joined by Wurtz's voice in the final section to the end. It's interesting and very dreamy arrangement with a great blend of timbres in this ensemble. Track 4, Discord. The drums get it going with a kind of processional feel of deep bass drum and little tom rolls. There's some other percussion and rain stick kind of sounding uh, percussion in there mm. for atmosphere. Ledbetter's on acoustic bass here, and he joins in with rising interval figure lines. Soft piano ripples of alternating chords and then horn lines build up in an arrangement to bring in the vocals and check out the prominent bass clarinet in the left channel. Christy Dashiel is on the vocals here with a smooth breathiness. A melody and song, that's what you were to me. That's how the words get going. We no longer had a harmony. And then notice the dissonance placed nicely on the discord lyric that resolves soon. Sean Jones gets a solo after the verse. It sounds like flugelhorn here. Fluffy, fluttery, and great melodic lines and speedy double-time ending. Jess Richmond follows with a piano solo, showing off a ringing touch, and Neto is next with a trombone solo with relaxed phrasing and cool falling pitches. Then there's a cool, soft, unison melody line with voice, sax, and I think trombone too. Rhythmic trombone lines build up around it, flute as well. Dashiell is back for another verse and some more vocalization lines to a thick and soft false ending. You'll think it's over, but it restarts with some interaction between Jones, Neto, Dashiell, and also flute. Uh, continuing a while to the end. 
Here's a cool title for track five, Nostalgic Haiku. This one has a clicky R&B kind of groove to it and cool syncopated electric bass. Sounds fretless maybe? Uh, with piano, guitar, and vibe figures, and soft horn swells to get it started. Reagan Borough is on bass on this track and really lays down some thick lines underneath everything. A clean drum break brings in trombone lines, and then the rest of the horns come stacking on. The drum beat kicks up and the trumpets blaze and scream, and Randy Brecker takes the stage for an agile and fluttery flugelhorn solo. He sounds as great as ever. Uh, his solos are still creative. His chops sound great. Nero gets a trombone solo next with smooth but powerful lines. The horns build around him and then things get quiet for a vibes solo from Wolf. He has a good rhythmic snap in his phrases over the grooving bass and some speedy mallet work. The horns come back to build up the melody again to trumpet screams, a pause, and a final short ending with do da do da da kind of brass lines that kick it up at the end. Track 6, Just Let Go. This starts with a long held trumpet note has swirling bass clarinet, clarinet, and flute lines that weave around that note. It's a pretty melody, beautiful arranging here. Very light drum brushes start a beat, and lush horn lines swell in with ringing acoustic bass lines. Neto rises out of that with a rich and fluffy trombone solo in the warm middle register, with a nice vibrato touch too. Check out the dreamy woodwind backing lines with oscillating notes behind. There's a nice synced phrase from Neto in the horns, when they come together into the next section, and the horns clear away a bit for Nero to float some lovely phrases soaring high and low. The horns flow in again gently, with backing and rising falling lines, and the rhythm section silences for the woodwinds to make a rich arrangement joined by Nero and some final soft trumpets. Really beautiful arranging. Now we've got the title track for number seven, Kemet the Black Land. This one starts with hand claps, light percussion sounds, marking out a six-beat rhythm pattern, one note acoustic bass, guitar, and vibes join in on a rhythmic mix. And Christy Dashiell is back for some vocalized lines together with the horns. Nice little turns in the phrases. The rhythmic change-ups are interesting as it moves along and then builds up in sections with horn blasts and more horn arrangements. After a climax with a trumpet scream, things get quiet for a flugelhorn solo from Sean Jones. He builds it up with fluttery descending ideas, high reaches, and speedy licks. Nero follows with a trombone solo, starting lyrical but getting some edge on his tone in higher phrases, and then some speedy slide work. Richmond gets an animated piano solo with horn and vocal backing lines that swell in and out, and Nero is listed as uh, adding in vocals on this track as well. There are brass blasts, including some of the lowest brass notes you'll ever hear. <laughs> They're really low, and that's got to be the tuba in there on this track. Then we get some percussion grooving from Kyle Swan and Fran Vielma. And the hand claps return with the repeating note idea and more vocalizations underneath. Gnarly guitar and syncopated trombones build it up and more horn layers with some wild flute stack to a big finish. Track 8 is called One Day. This one has a 6-8 feel and kind of an African folk song quality. Remember that pentatonic idea. Uh, soft and thick trombones and rhythmic acoustic guitar make an intro as bass and percussion join in. Christy Dashiell again and Nero have the vocal lines. The horn arrangement gets big with trumpets and fluttering flutes. The arrangement thins out for a flute solo from Daniel Dickinson. It's happy and lively with vocal backing of one day and rising lines. Chris Burbank gets a trumpet solo next with some interesting articulation and high reaches in the register. It's a section of rhythmic vocal phrases and soaring horns that builds up into some final soaring vocal lines from Dashiell. And track nine, jam number three in C-sharp major. 
Here Richmond starts it out with some rhythmic descending piano figures joined by bass and guitar, a trombone and sax line over a clicky groove comes in and things start to get funkier. It builds with more lines and trumpet blasts. There's a really cool rhythmic sax and guitar line mixed in there and then a cool sax section line with really deep berry sax. There's a lot to listen to in the horn arrangement. Nito comes out of that arrangement with a suave sounding start to a trombone solo over those descending chords established from the start of the tune. He makes it rhythmic, bluesy, and fun. The horns push it and then a bluesy and searing toned alto sax from guest Tim Green. The horns build up and then it comes down to a new rhythmic groove set up by guitar and piano. Bass throbs in and horn lines exchange over the top to build up a trumpet solo to a trumpet solo from Sean Jones. He takes his time to build it up with short phrases with anticipation creating pauses. He gets some high notes in and some harmonic tension building lines. Sounds great. The horns build up and back into the original groove and harmonic progression and it grooves along with some exchanges from Green, Neto, and Jones to an ending of just their final notes. Now, I was wondering, uh, looking at the Bandcamp site, the CD is for sale there, but it says bonus tracks oh. on digital only, but those tracks are not available on Deezer or Spotify, uh, but you can check them out on Bandcamp. You can play the full tracks there. So the digital means only for a digital download. And you know what? These nine tracks is 115 minutes of music. And he's going to give you two more. So you got almost an hour and a half of music. And while the CD is kind of you know ordering in uh, Japan here, the shipping kills us. And uh, the Amazon price is about uh, 2,500 yen. No, not a bad deal. That's okay for now. But yeah. if you buy the CD, you won't get these other tracks. <laughs> so I really wanted these tracks too. So I bought the digital download. He's only asking from seven US dollars. So is, it, is this a double album on CD? No, I don't think it'll fit on a CD. So that's why the extra tracks aren't on there. No, but I mean, there there is a CD available. Right. But you said it's 115 minutes. That can't be. It's, it's probably 75 minutes. 75 minutes, that's what yeah, I said. Okay, there you go, yeah. sorry. An hour and 15 minutes, yeah. Anyway, I wanted these two extra tracks. So oh, that's I, right. I, so, yeah. 75 minutes is an hour. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we can see where my brain is tonight. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, I threw in a little bit extra because I thought that was too cheap for that. Uh, I will say, if you want to get the download, though it doesn't say so, but you can kind of tell by looking at the file sizes. If you're into high-res, this is not high-res. It's just regular CD resolution. The sound quality is outstanding here. Anyway, yes. the two extra tracks that you get are Contemplation, a McCoy Tyner tune. I won't go through these in detail. You've got solos from Javier Neto, Sean Jones, Josh Richmond. It's a thick arrangement with great loping bass lines and uh, of including bass, trombone, and berry sax. And then you've got a Cole Porter tune, It's All Right With Me, featuring Christy Dashiell's vocals. It's an exciting Latin arrangement of that. They're great syncopated lines and switching up to sections of swing feels as well. Richmond has a really nice piano solo on this one as well. So overall, it's a great recording, full of energy and exciting performances. There are a lot of different moods in Neto's compositions and inventive arrangements of the tunes that he's composed here that keep you pulled into the music. I love the prominent bass clarinet, berry sax, and bass trombone lines that thicken things up, but there are sweet blends of flutes and clarinets as well. Great solos all around, especially by Neto and Sean Jones, but with a lot of other interesting guests as well. And the sound is phenomenal. Let's give credit. Lead studio engineer Bob Dawson, assistant audio engineer Tom Tyra, and audio editing Richard Sigler, mixing and mastering engineer David Darlington. 
Yeah, I think when you uh, said uh, an hour and 50 minutes, I heard it as 150 oh. minutes, which is a totally <laughs> different thing. Yeah. I was going to say, whoa, yeah, it didn't seem that long. Anyway, yeah, the thing that really jumped out at me on this was the recording quality of the album. Not to mention the really cool grooves and all the uh, the yeah. richness of all the um, instruments that we're hearing played on this. So yeah, fantastically engineered album. The album starts out with some really cool grooves at the opening two tracks. And then the middle goes for more uh, down-tempo tracks, all with beautiful harmony and arrangement hmm. arrangements, especially on the wind instruments and the brass, which are occasionally kept separate by the arrangements like you'll hear wind then you'll hear brass and then sometimes they come mm. I liked the arranging on this yeah, album a lot as well it was really creative very pleasing to the ear we usually don't hear woodwind ensembles in jazz um, rhythms and harmonies in the slower pieces tend to be here's a word I used here buoyant mm. I said this a lot in my notes and what I mean is that they lift the soloists and the themes up. It sounds like those themes are floating on what right. is going on beneath them due to their lightness. Okay. It's just, it's kind of a word that just came up while I was listening to this record. Buoyant rhythm and harmonies. The album has beautiful production, very rich sounding. The drums were really upholstered by the soundboard with a nice meaty bass too. I really yeah. enjoyed hearing that. The album as a whole comes across as positive and uplifting and can add some sunshine to a cloudy day. In a way, only music could. So it's good stuff. A lot of ear candy on this record, too. A variety of influences. You've mm. got African ideas, Latin ideas, jazz, a little bit of R&B, and all that great instrumentation. Yes. I, I can't uh, recommend this one enough. Yeah, We talked about that uh, Fiesta Barroca Latina album with all its different styles. And stuff. Right. <laughs> or the Guacamaya one. This is kind of like that, too. Yeah. That yeah it goes through all these side. different styles. Yeah. You know, Definitely put you in a good mood. So check that out. Yeah. And we're going to stay right with the trombone and go a little bit more shifting into Latin gear with the next recording. We've got Doug Beaver's Luna on Circle Nine Records. This came out June 30th. Doug Beaver's has made a name for himself, 2019 Grammy Award winner and 2023 nominee. Uh, he moved to New York and got his master's degree in composition from the Manhattan School of Music in 2002. And Eddie Palmieri, had him transcribe and arrange the complete repertoire from his historic La Perfecta group of the 1960s. And he won his first Grammy Award with Palmieri for Listen Here in 2006, Concord Picante, an album which featured Michael Brecker, Nicholas Payton, Christian McBride, and John Schofield. How's that for some big names? And Beavers has since gone on to perform, arrange, and record for Spanish Harlem Orchestra, Christian McBride, Mingus Big Band, Ruben Blades, Tipico 73, Herberto Santa Rosa, Paul Simon, uh, the list goes on and on, Tom Harrow as well. And as a leader, he's recorded five albums, and his 2017 release of Art of the Arrangement, kind of a nomination at the 60th Annual Grammy Awards and a four-star review in Downbeat Magazine. So you're going to hear some great arranging on this album as well. And this Circle Nine is his own record label. 2020, the previous recording to this was called Soul, right? So the sun. Mm -hmm. So here we've got Luna. This is kind of a counterbalance oh, conceptually, uh, Luna being the moon and uh, the opposite to the sun. And the first kind of uh, work we're going to hear is uh, the Luna Suite. Before you get into that, uh, I kind of want to be with Doug on that uh, album cover. It's kind of a really appealing uh, yeah. <laughs> piece of cover art there. Yeah, with it's it. kind of nice. I think the previous one is similar too. Uh, huh, it's check got that the, out. these ocean vibes. 
Uh, anyway, the, in 2021, Chamber Music America commissioned this Luna Suite, which is the first half of the recording, through a New York Jazz Works grant funded by the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation. Beavers composed the suite while taking a residency in Spain on the Mediterranean Sea. How about that? That could inspire me to write some music too, I think. Yeah. So uh, this music here soaks up a lot of that quality, and we're going to get a lot of interesting Latin rhythms here. Now we've got two halves to this recording for the Luna Suite, so I'll just go through the personnel for that because it changes up. This is the first six tracks on the album. Doug Beavers on trombone, Jeremy Bosch, flute and vocals on track five, Ivan Renta, tenor and soprano sax, Manuel Maneco Ruiz, trumpet and flugelhorn, Max Siegel, bass trombone, Gabriel Chakarji, piano and Fender Rhodes in there as well, Jerry Madera, bass, Luis Do Quintero, congas timbales percussion, Camilo Molina, drums and bongos, and we've got some vocals, Carlos Cascante, lead vocal on track six, and Anthony Almonte, chorus of the backing vocals on track five. So let's go through this suite. The intro for Luna, track one. It's a dreamy, soft, waltzing intro with flute flugelhorn and soft trombone lines, rising piano figures. It's short and connects directly to the next track, which bursts out with Latin percussion and syncopated bass and bass trombone lines, giving a kind of eight-beat feel under darting sax lines topped by a cutting flute tone. A low piano chords set up a further building up of horn lines topped by trumpet, getting edgier and edgier, but balanced out by mellow trombone lines. I like how the bass trombone part keeps doing its own thing. It's got its own line in the right channel. My ear kept being drawn toward that. And then Chakarji gets a piano solo with a mix of rhythmic ideas, zippy lines, building harmonic tension as the horns return for backing. There's a cool section of muted trumpet and trombone over just Latin percussion before things build up again with some full power trumpet and trombone lines. Then we get a solo piano Latin breakdown and a build up with percussion and screaming horns into an exciting trombone solo from Beavers, rhythmic and ripping into the upper register. The horns build up to stabs over the Latin percussion for a final section that builds right to the end with a high-held trumpet note. Track two, Reflejo del Sol. So the sun's reflecting, I guess that would mean. Uh, the piano starts this one out solo with a rhythmic eight-beat repeating chord idea. Latin percussion drums, ghostly low flute flutters, and interval bass lines come in. The melody line is a flowing unison mix of trombone, flute, and flugelhorn its harmonization and then a full arrangement development again with a cool independent bass trombone line nice sunny chord progressions and uplifting melody lines jeremy bosch gets a flute solo with a great tone warm but cutting in the upper register nice vibrato too the horn arrangement gets to stand out with some pulling back of the piano and percussion working into new sections of melody the rhythmic piano figures pop back in in spaces and Beavers gets a trombone solo here as well, starting relaxed and working up to more intense rhythmic licks and cries. The rhythmic horn backing lines add nice interaction behind him, and different rhythmic piano chords and percussion start the ending with some final horn phrases to wrap it up. Track four, Las Piedras. That meets the stones, I think. Yeah. Quarter note bass drum hits, bass, and reggae-like piano chord rhythms. 
get it started with a sprinkling of percussion. There's a fun horn arranged melody with building trumpet lines, then a trombone and sax unison melody line. Chakaji sprinkles in Rhodes with the piano chords and then adds more Rhodes ringing chords as the horn lines build up to a percussion section with bass and bass trombone working together. More intersecting horn lines with flute in the mix build up and Ivan Rorinta gets a tenor sax solo working in some jazzy licks and intense double time lines. The horn lines get some exciting speedy lines in a new section building up to a trombone solo from Beavers that gets fed by more intense horn lines that carry on to a full power blast trades with Latin percussion for an exciting ending. Track 5 is a vocal number Multicolores featuring Jeremy Bosch. is very exuberant singing here, and my Spanish is very rusty. <laughs> the lyrics aren't in the notes, so uh, you have to check it out for yourself. Obviously, multicolored is the theme. His voice is warm and rich and switches between soft higher lines and lower full voice tones easily. Lots of percussion and nice timbales that cut through. The backing horn arrangement is well done with soft flowing lines of trombones and flutes but punchy bass trombone. Anthony Aluante joins in on the chorus, adding excitement into a section of blaring trumpet-topped lines, and then things get bluesier and funky with a change to a minor and new building horn section, back to the happy mood and more vocal interaction. Ruiz gets a little trumpet solo spot to break things up a bit. Uh, there's a fun lifting modulation into the final tightly arranged horn lines, and this one will put you in a good mood if you weren't already. Hmm. And then the last piece of the suite, Luna. This one's got rising horn lines that started out with a relaxed waltzing intro. Sounds like muted trombones in there. It's really a kind of muffled tone. It's hard to pick it out. It works through into a relaxed four-beat rhythm with a bass ostinato joined by bass trombone and Latin percussion to bring in Carlos Cascante with the vocals. He has a charming voice on the dreamy tune with flowing horn backing lines. The horns get to shine with some soaring lines and shakes into a silky tenor sax solo sections from Ivan Renta before Cascante returns with the last section of vocals into a final verse and Beavers get some floating trombone lines into and after a pause, then a stacking of horn lines to end it. Yeah, it's an enjoyable suite. Sometimes we don't like the jazz suite, but this one takes you through a lot of different moods, a variety of Latin rhythms, got different vocalists, and great horn arranging all the way along. I may be changing my opinion about the uh, jazz suite there. Slowly, they're starting these these contemporary sort of uh, suites are starting to move me towards uh, approval of the jazz suite. Let's just yeah, say. we've heard some better we've heard ones, some good ones uh, recently. Yeah. yeah, and this one's definitely yeah. a good one. Now we're going to get a different group of musicians for tracks seven to eleven. On trombone, we've got uh, Beavers again. The great Conrad Herwig, we've heard his album recently on uh, track nine. Francisco Torres on trombone, track nine as well. And uh, Max Siegel on the bass trombone, nine and ten. Also tuba in there. We'll talk more about that when we get there. And on that track, we've also got some French horn. Eric C. Davis, clarinets and bass clarinet, Dave Rickenberg. Joe Locks here on vibraphone. Paul Bollenbach on guitar, which changes the character of the tunes a lot. Again, Gabriel Chakarji, piano and Fender Rhodes. Luque Curtis, acoustic bass. Robbie Amin on drums. Luisto Quintero, Congress Timbales percussion. George Delgado. And we've got some of these uh, instruments here. I don't know how to pronounce them, Craig. Itotele, which is the middle-sized bata drum. Shikere. It's a Yoruba percussion 
what's that gourd with the beads tied around it in a kind of net, you know. Okay. Those are on uh, tracks four and 11. Camilo Molina, the Oconcolo, which is, I think, the smallest bata drum, and then the Ia, the largest bata drum, and Jeremy Bosch with vocal, and Ada Dyer, female vocalist, and they're together on track 11. So track seven is C, an anticipation building intro of repeated syncopated figures of vibes and guitar filled with piano figures in between those phrases. The horns build on top into the melody, working together in unison on vibes and guitar for an interesting tonal mix. Trombone works a counterline and then joins in together before splitting into a busier part again. And Locke comes out with a vibe solo, working up a repeated rhythmic note idea into more melodic and interval ideas. Bolenbach is making nice choppy rhythmic guitar backing and adding other little figures behind. There's a rhythmic section featuring the percussion under vamping and then lines of guitar, trombone, and vibes. And Bolenbach comes out of that with a guitar solo of searing tone and biting articulation. The more mellow melody lines return and Beavers gets a solo over a stretch building to the end section of synced snappy and syncopated phrases. Track 8 is a short one hence interlude, its title, less than a minute. It fades in and out with a thick wash of sounds. There's vocalizations, piano in Rhodes, and acoustic guitar over Latin percussion. Now the notes also say clarinets and bass clarinets. I couldn't pick them out. They must be really blended in <laughs> into this uh, thick soup of sound in there. But that goes to track nine, Flor de Lis. And this is uh, not Beaver's original. This is Jovan Caetano Viana, a Brazilian singer-songwriter's composition. This one is all about the trombones. It starts with solo acoustic rhythm guitar making a groove. Brazilian percussion and bass join in. Thick trombone lines build up to a trombone solo from the great Conrad Herwig, starting warm and fluffy in the lower register. The bass has a great throbbing samba beat going. More bone lines behind the solo and transitioning to the next solo from Francisco Torres with lively, happy, melodic lines. And he trades lines back and forth with Herwig, I think, just going back with the previous soloist. And Bolingback gets an acoustic guitar solo. Then the trombone section gets a standout section piece over the Latin percussion, and it builds up to a final trombone solo from Max Siegel. And Chikarji gets a percussive, high-ringing piano solo. The trombones improvise through a section together and have some sliding lines over the percussion to end it. Track 11 is an interesting one. The or track 10, rather, Intro to Sands of Time, which is track 11. Uh, whoa, <laughs> a thick brass wall of sound with those French horns and tuba that makes really rich chords. There's a thundering piano chord and high trickles that break it up, but goes back to more gentle section of flowing brass over piano lines. Keep that in your mind as we go into track 11, The Sands of Time. Bass, drum, and cymbals mark out the time for an intro of alternating ringing piano chords. Bass and Latin percussion get a beat going for a melody of vibes and acoustic guitar lines interspersed with little rhythmic horn sections. It builds up to a vibe solo from Locke with rhythmic and bluesy lines returning to the melody and then 
an acoustic guitar solo from Bollenbeck. A tightly arranged section of thick trombone lines works through to more vibes melody, and it thins out for a trombone solo from Beavers with really crying lines. Jeremy Bosch and Ada Dyer come in with backing vocalizations and then some soulful singing from Dyer over the lyrics they repeat, we are the sands of time. The thick syncopated trombone line sections with guitar interaction repeats as it fades out. And then suddenly that thick brass line from the intro that we heard fades in to make an unexpected ending to the recording. Mm. And that's it. An exciting recording of Latin music. And it's packed full of great trombone lines and hot playing all around. The Luna Suite has a nice flow and a variety of moods, and the final five tunes bring out the full trombone lineup and the additional tones of vibes and guitar for more variety. Beaver's skillful arranging shines through, along with his exciting trombone solos. It's all rhythmic, appealing, energetic, and spiced up with a generous portion of Latin percussion. You're sure to be in a good mood for listening to this recording. Yeah, the styles of these... Um tracks kind of vary a lot too um there's this right. some more straight jazz then i found like a multicolores the one you said that was very kind of uplifting it's, it was more of a pop salsa style pop i can salsa imagine style, yeah. dancing to that you know it's kind of got right. that salsa groove personally i've grown to like uh, doug beaver's uh soloing style over the several albums i've heard yeah. him on he goes kind of for a slower sort of um speed i guess and a certain style of phrasing that really stands out there's something about it hmm. he's more focused on melody and tone than anything else he right. doesn't really go for the um the virtuosity very much although you do hear him kind of go on these excursions occasionally but he's a very melodic soloist and i really hmm. like that about him the opening of the record is more straightforwardly jazz oriented to me so i guess that's the track the uh the suite right and then um there's some tracks five and six are more popular style latin songs and back to jazz on track seven. Everything's beautifully arranged, as again, yeah, come to expect arranging. from him. Especially from a guy who's done an album called The Heart of the Arrangement. You would expect that. Yeah. Again, excellent production. We're hearing some great sound quality tonight yeah, from sure. these uh, jazz albums. Um, the entire band sounds richly upholstered and clear in the, uh, in the soundboard there. There's what sounds like a light Spanish guitar that's pretty low in the mix right. when it appears. But I really like that sound. It's like a little... Ear right. candy there. Yeah, just a very good album. Uplifting. Yeah. And Latin records always sound feel really good. I don't know. Latin jazz to me. All right. Well, yeah. we've got the big bombastic horn arrangement <laughs> done. So we bring things down for a little more intimate recording. And we're going to take a specific destination. And that's going to be Brazil mm. for a trombonist we've heard before, Ryan Keberly and his new release, Considerando, on Alternate Side Records. This came out on July 15th, so it's pretty fresh. And he's from Washington State. Uh, he played music from an early age, studied classical violin and piano before taking up the trombone as his main instrument. In 1999, he came to study at the Manhattan School of Music, where he came under the study of trombone great Steve Turay and mm. others as well, composers Michael Albin and Manny Album, And he was the sole member of his graduating class to receive the William H. Borden Award for Musical Excellence in Jazz. In 2017, he took time off from his duties directing the music program at Hunter College to travel to Brazil. And while in Sao Paulo, he met three leading and busy uh, musicians, pianist Felipe Silveira, bassist Tiago Alves, and drummer and percussionist Paulino 
Vicente. And so they made this quartet that came to be known as Collective do Brasil. Now we heard his previous recording, Sonos de Esquina, with three of the four of these musicians in episode 56, Latin Spring and Swing. And here, Felipe Brasola taking over the bass chair from Tiago Alves. Uh, also, we heard uh, Cabrillet in episode 83, Beefy Beethoven and Big Band, <laughs> as a member of Joe McCarthy's New York Afro Bop Alliance Big Band on the recording, the Pan American Nutcracker Suite. So the previous recording by this group featured a lot of Milton Nascimento and Tonino Horta. And this time we're going to hear mostly from Edu Lobo's composition, who was uh, a loved and influential composer and guitarist. He's still alive and playing at the age of 79. On this arrangement, we're down to a quartet. Ryan Keberle on trombone and most of the arrangements Felipe Silveira, piano, and arrangements for three tracks, two, seven, and eight, and another Felipe Brissola on bass, Paulino Vicente on drums, and this was recorded in Brazil. Track one is called Zanzibar. This is an Edo Lobo composition. It's also the first track on 1971 recording, Sergio Mendes Presents Lobo. So he presenting his uh, sing-songwriting there. And so this starts out this recording as well. Now, the descending guitar riffs, if you check out the original recording from that Lobo recording, are taken up here by Silveira's piano with more bluesiness to them. Uh, Kimberly takes the tricky piano and vocalized lines from the original and gets joined in unison by Brasola. A percussive piano chords push it into a throbbing samba rhythm with rhythmic but dynamically sensitive lines from Cabrillet. They go around the patterns again and back into the intro descending riff with drum buildup from Vicente and Cabrillet joining in on the riff. A quick break and then back to the samba rhythm for a piano solo from Silveira. Here's a great flowing light touch over jazzy lines of melodic ideas. Uh, the tricky bone and bass lines return into a percussive vamp for Cabrillet to solo over with lots of gusto and a big bold tone and some fun shakes in there as well. Check out the popping bass from Brasola. You usually don't hear that on an acoustic. Sounds more like a you know popping electric Latin bass. Uh, very cool. They bring it down soft for the ending with a long held note from Cabrillet. Track two, Casaforte Canto Triste. This is also by Edu Lobo, Lani Hall, and Vincius de Moraes. This one's arranged by Silveira. A long, synced-up line of falling, rising, and falling notes starts it out into some soft, harmonically darting chords from Silveira. Cabrillet joins in on top of building sweet, rising melody lines that are shadowed by the piano. And you'll start to see that he's going for a real vocal quality on this recording with a lot of attention to dynamics. And that's not an easy thing to do on trombone with control and a beautiful tone. But a lot of the material on this recording is uh, taking that approach. A slow, steady, clicky beat emerges from Vicente as Cabrillet works lines in the lower register up to a return of the intro line. And things clear for Silveira to start sparsely on a delicate but rhythmic piano solo. Bass and drums work up a tight groove, and Silveira gets more percussive with a sticky hesitancy in his lines that feels great and creates anticipation. And Carole follows with a solo that sings out up high, but gets down low as well. One line almost sounds like a quote from uh, 
can't take my eyes off from you if you listen to that. You know, there's some nice moments of harmonic tension with the piano chords that quickly get resolved. And Cabaret plays on melodically, and they end up with the opening descending section to a long held out pulsing trombone note. Now, track three, Considerando, the Edo Lobo composition. A yearning ballad that Cabaret really comes in singing on. Listen to the great pitch drops and vibrato in his playing. Silviera gets some melody with so much space. You think that he just uh, took a break for a sandwich or something, but it's pretty and understated. Priscilla and Vicente match with delicate backing. Cabaret is back for more buttery toned melody, pleading higher and higher before passing it back to Silviera, but with soft backing lines continuing. I think the original had deep, maybe bass flute lines on it. Uh, on the final melody section, it gets a bit more percussive push before a slowdown, a short hold and pause before some final trombone notes. There's no improvised solos here. It's just a sensitive treatment of a beautiful melody playing through. Track four, Cabriolet's original Edu as a tribute to Lobo. Repeated soft ringing piano chords get joined by descending bass intervals. Cabriolet adds flowing lines on top to a hold a pulsing Brazilian groove of alternating chords and then more interesting harmonies gives Keverly some foundation to work some tricky melodic lines over. Then a new section of syncopated bass notes and piano chords changes the flow again under him before settling into a relaxed groove for some piano from Silvera. A throbbing samba gets chugging for more aggressive improvised solos from Keberle with snappy slide work, and they return to the intro idea where the trombone enters and into the pulsing alternating chord start to and ending of rising piano chimes. I like how the feels and grooves keep changing up on this one and how in sync the trio is through all those changes. Track 5, Toada. It's another Edu Lobo and also Kakaso. Uh, is a composer, I guess, from Minas region in Brazil. It's another ballad, has warm flutes in the original recording, and Silveira starts it out solo, very gently and rubato. The drums kick into Cabriolet coming in with the melody, and Brasola has a great snappy electric-like bass going on before they pull it back to rubato with dreamy piano for Cabriolet to float over. Back to the slow but snappy groove for Cabrera to work up more of a solo over. Silviera has pretty filling lines and more intense interaction as they go along. Vicente adds just enough drum fills and timed hits underneath as well. It comes to a slightly slowed and soft ending. Track 6, Gallop. According to the Bandcamp notes, he reimagined this tune that originally was released in 2014, and it's set to an Uruguayan candombe groove, uh, but with more of a samba beat, while retaining the sing-song contours that seem to call out for a lyric. That's what the notes say. Well, mm. after an intro of ringing piano over softly skittering brushes, a descending bass and piano line brings in Cabrillet, who enters with the melody, and Brasola gets a cool bass groove going. It's really unique, and maybe that's what's called the condombe, and it kind of has a galloping feel, and so maybe that's where the title comes from as well. Uh, it makes a nice contrast to the long lyrical trombone lines floating above. The groove dissipates in spots and then gets more into a samba pulse with fierce drum fills from Vicente. The change-ups are interesting. Brasola gets an intense and ringing bass solo, working way up in the upper register. 
Uh, back to the samba for a solo from Keberle. It's a nice mix of lower register lines into tricky slide work and intervals. Uh, it returns to a simmer for a solo from Silveira, who builds up from shorter lines into more rhythmic things. And it gets soft and slow for more fluffy trombone lines. But Vicente shows it's going to speed up with light subdivided cymbal. And they work it through another pulsing samba section with a nicely stretched ending and final notes from Keberle. Track seven, Pra Desert Adeus. I think that's how you say it. Sounds good uh, to me. <laughs> Edo Lobo and Torcato Neto. This was also recorded by Sarah Vaughan with the title uh, To Say Goodbye in English. Silviera starts it out over a light and relaxed bass and drum beat. It slows and picks up again with him answering his own phrases to the floating arrival of Keberle's trombone above. They join together on the final melody phrase before another high and tight bass solo from Brasola. With clear melodic ideas and a bluesy tinge to it, Silviera gets a gently sprinkled phrases of piano exchanging with Keberle's lyrical lines. And they gradually build intensity. Keberle's really calling it out here. Back to the relaxed melody from Silveira, bringing in Keberly low and soft to build back up to a great descending from up high uh, into the final phrases, synced nicely with the piano. Uh, a little crashing dissonance in the piano under the held trombone note to say goodbye. Track 8, Even Now. This is written by Edu Lobo and Paula Stone, arranged by Silveira. A playful exchange of bass figures and high piano chords start this one out. There's a little break for Keberle to bring in the melody and samba, a samba beat gets going. Check out the wash of piano underneath there. Uh, it keeps going with little resets and breaks into the melody, making you wonder what's coming next here. Silviera gets a piano solo with the ringing notes, showing off nice touch and dynamics, navigating these rhythmic change-ups here. He works it up into a fervor of speedy lines. Keberle's back to take it through the melody sections with great rhythmic work from Silviera underneath him. Piano and bass vamp out on the rhythmic intro idea, again for Vicente to mix things up tightly around the drum kit. And finally, Keberle joins in the bass lines down on the lower register as it works to a sudden ending. Track 9, B. And this is written by the drummer, Paulino Vicente. Slow solo piano chords move with bass to outline the minor harmonic progression. Keberle joins in with a descending melody line with sparse hits from Vicente. It's a unique slow and heavy feel here. Silviera gets a sparse and delicate piano solo, and Keberle returns with the soft backing lines working into higher cries and his own solo. It really rings out with nice little turns in his descending figures. Vicente beats up the excitement more, and it has transformed from a ballad to a heavy and bluesy dirge. Silviera mixes up bluesy tense chords and figures underneath Keberly's longing cries, and it comes down soft with just trombone over bass to a long-held note. Now, the last tune, Lennon and McCartney's Blackbird. I think this is probably just uh, Paul McCartney here. It really is his yeah. song. Yeah, and uh, it's a tune I really like to play on guitar. So the reason for including this here... On the Sergio Mendez Presents Lobo recording, it concludes with a folky rendition of Hey Jude... And so we've got a little Beatles ending to sort of mirror that. An intro of angular bass and left-hand piano lines with tense piano chord hits and accents from Vicente. But then it becomes smooth and fluffy with Keberle's entrance on the famous melody, lyrical and flowing. The trio has interesting synced-up rhythmic movement underneath. Keberle really blows out on the Blackbird fly line, <laughs> lyric line. Hmm. Uh, it gets a little dreamy with chiming piano from Silveira over 
pulsing bass figures and then Vicente kicks in a steady groove for a piano solo that moves little figures interestingly around the harmonies and works into big percussive chords and trills. Kimberly comes in with backing lines connecting into some improvising of his own working in phrases from the melody as it transforms to a beautiful rubato ending with just trombone and piano. So, great soaring vocal-like trombone playing from Keberle on melodic songs from Edu Lobo, his own compositions, and some other Brazilian composers. Even on the ballads, these Brazilian musicians keep the rhythmic feels evolving and exciting. There are more explosive parts as well, where Keberle lets loose and Silviero's piano inventiveness really shines through. Prisola has great bass tone and grooves, and Vicente can be super soft or hard-hitting. Mostly you're impressed with the synergy and interaction of these musicians together. And don't miss this for some subtle but intensely burning uh, Brazilian music. Lovers of trombone and Brazilian music will enjoy this a lot. Yeah, musically speaking, uh, Brazil is a place I'm always happy to be. <laughs> yeah. And for me, on this album, the thing that stuck out was Keberle's uh, rich, burnished tone, which you actually mentioned as well. He's got this yeah. beautiful tone that he keeps under complete control throughout the album. He focuses mostly on melodic playing. I really like that. Yeah. And everything on this album plays, it's just got a lot of class and it's got really mm. rich sound. So it's really just kind of enjoyable that way. Uh, the piano comes to mind too. Both piano and trombone complement each other well. Very classy tone again. And they often play in counterpoint to each other if that's the right word. They're sort of doing their own thing. Uh, they'll sort of uh, be soloing at the same time. It sounds great when they play together. The whole album is pretty mellow with uh, mm. mid-tempo being like the fastest tempo, really. Uh, it's laid back and relaxed evening listening. So you got your uh, Fiesta Barroca Latina for the morning, and this would be the end of the day. Yeah. In fact, you could start that in the morning and just go through all of the recordings we talked about and end with this one late in the evening, and you'll have a yeah. fantastic day, I think. When you go to work, you know... Tomorrow, after you hear this podcast, if you haven't heard the music, just start at the beginning of the Deezer podcast, put on your headphones, ignore your boss. <laughs> just, uh, you've got all the right biorhythms. You're going to get some rhythmic injection, yeah. a little uh, caffeine boost. You're going to go through those really big boned arrangements with right. Javier Neto and uh, Doug Beavers and a nice evening chill with this Brazilian music from Kimberly uh, yeah, Hill. This all really chilled me out. Maybe a little too much for this uh, particular podcast, but uh, <laughs> it makes me feel, if I weren't doing the podcast, I'd be feeling really good. Yeah. I am feeling good, but I mean, you know what I mean? I, I need. I, I feel like I need more energy tonight. Yeah. I don't know what's happening over here. Uh, well, you know, it's, uh, it's that time of year. Well, time we'll of be, year. We'll be better soon. <laughs> we'll be better soon. Oh, yes. All right. So that about wraps it up for episode 124. Thanks, as always, to Fast Signs of Staten Island for our glowing neon logo. Remember, check out that link for the Same Difference podcast. And when we finish up with the recording here, we'll also have a little promo clip there if you want to check out and listen to that, find out what they're all about. What do we got for next week? Well, next week, I've noticed that um, our, our good friends and uh, classical music ensemble that we really like, uh, La Serenissima, oh, yeah. an English... Um, group that plays mostly Italian repertoire, right. Baroque Italian repertoire, has a new album. From, it came out in May, actually, uh, called An Englishman Abroad, with music by Nicola Mateus and his contemporaries. And I was looking at it and sort of um, 
you know, delaying it simply because it's a double album. It's going to be right. a lot of listening. Right. But uh, they, uh, they're always liking us and, you know, posting on our Facebook site. So I feel like we, I want to really kind of hear this now. So yeah. we'll, we'll do that one. Yeah, I'm up for that. And I got my favorite, one of my favorite symphonies of all by Carl Nielsen, Symphony Number no. 4, The Inextinguishable, mm. on a new Chandos yeah, like release. Yeah, it's one of our big favorites here. And I've got a new work by a, a composer I don't know much about, so I'm not going to say anything about him yet. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell okay. you next week. I've got uh, some latest and greatest in jazz, all stuff that came out on the 21st. Mm. So it's all freshly squeezed. And it's ensembles, too. Uh, one is a piano-led group from the UK. We've got another trombone-led larger ensemble working up to some big band to uh, top it all off. So all new stuff. That should be exciting. Now, if you want to know what all these recordings are, shortly after this episode gets released, I'll have the playlist up on Deezer and also a link to it on our Facebook page. So if you want to start listening to that music, see what it is, uh, check out either the Deezer playlist, just search for adult music, or get a link to it on our Facebook page. Any final uh, words, Mike? Well, there are no final words. There are only like uh, anticipatory tones for next week, let's say. All right. Looking forward to it. So thanks for listening as always, and we'll see you again for episode 125 next week. Same difference. Two jazz fans, one jazz standard. A review of a single jazz standard through music, history, and stories. And this is AJ. And this is Johnny. If you are a jazz fan and you like jazz standards, bebop, show tunes, ballads, you name it. Yeah, we've got them here. We drop a new show on you every other week, and we take a standard, and we listen to a few different versions of it. Same difference. Come join the fun. Looking forward to seeing you.